Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scottish Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello! In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Riggles clear, might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great back And this week our guest is stand-up comedian and self-confessed football manager addict Tony Jameson. Thanks for coming on, Tony. What a pleasure. No, thanks for having us, boys. No, thank you. Thank you for joining us tonight. So we're looking at it's a it's a Christmas special. Recording this in July, but this is I think this is how uh, Slade recorded Merry Christmas. They recorded their Christmas hit in July. I was gonna say he he looks he looks very much like the the lad from the darkness when he does his uh, <laughs> sort of Christmas Christmas sort of single. I was like, all right, uh, Glenn Hoddle, how are you getting on there? So it's quite terrifying as well, in a weird way. I'm wondering if, I'm sorry, I'm wondering if that set is pretty much that's all it is. So if you actually, you know, step back a bit, there wouldn't be any any more wall. There wouldn't be any more tinsel. That is just that, just that little bit there. It's it's either that, or what, if you take the tinsel away, it's just that that red brick wall you get in like a council leisure centre. So. <laughs> He's, he's getting himself photographed as Santa Claus, but with a smell of chlorine just like wafting in the background, which obviously you can't pick up on the on the article. But I think that's probably why he's smiling a bit. Yeah, they've really gone to no expense for it. Eh? No even, <laughs> no even a fake beard. So it's March from December twenty fourth, nineteen eighty three, and the front cover is a picture of Glenn Hoddle and a Santa suit uh, in front of uh, a Christmas tree and lots of tinsel. Sorry, just to jump in as well. The, the thing that I like about this as well, with it being like the 80s, is it's a nice panelled football. You don't really get those anymore, do you? Like the, like the nice panelled football. I was like, oh, that's yeah. a nice, nice touch. No branding, nothing at all, just football. Yeah, so what you get in every newsagent, every newsagent in town would have a football of that. You could get. I think, I think they've missed a trick, which um, I've certainly seen in other magazines. Uh, the Christmas edition, normally, well, I'd say normally, but quite often what they do is the main man on the cover has a beard on and it's, Guess who's Santa Claus? Find out inside, and yeah. you know, and it's obvious who Santa Claus is. But I guess they've missed a trick here. I wonder if that was deliberate. Christmas special cover price thirty eight pence. I think we did one from nineteen eighty two the other week there, and the cover price was twenty eight pence. But anyway, thirty eight p Spanish pesetas one six five uh, on the cover. World Cup eighty six, so the World Cup draw for the eighty six qualifiers has just been made. Stars reveal their Christmas secrets, win a stereo, a stereo and a share in a treasure chest of super prizes. In colour, Aston Villa team group and inside, Graham Soonis, Gary Mavitt, Steve Williams, Tony Morley and many more. I mean, it sounds like a bumper episode, doesn't it? That, it does, yeah, really, doesn't There's it? a lot going on. This is Christmas right here, like, you know. And, and also, well, I appreciate the fact that, that this episode, I've got the Aston Villa team photo. I'm, I'm well happy with that. So thanks for that, boys. That's much appreciated. Yeah, we're out of way for you to... It's always random, though. It's always random. You, you know, you get the luck of the draw. I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> so we jump inside then. Yep. It's Christmas with the stars, and there's a couple of Steve McGarry drawings there. There's one of Simon Stainrod cooking the turkey. 
uh, and there's another one that relates to one of the questions. So Christmas for the stars, and the stars are Simon Steenrod of Queen's Park Rangers, Alex McLeish of Aberdeen, Kenny Hibbert of Wills, Arthur Graham of Manchester United, Jimmy Case of Brighton, and Alan Evans of Aston Villa. The first question, where would, where would you spend Christmas Day? Where will you spend Christmas Day? I think Jimmy Case has got the most interesting answer. Simon Steenrod is going out. He usually cooks a turkey, but he's got the day off. Alex McLeish is looking forward to staying at home as Aberdeen are playing on Christmas Eve and Boxing Day. Uh, Kenny's going to have lunch at home before travelling by coach to Portman Road for Will's Boxing Day game with Ipswich. Arthur Graham doing similar. Man, you play Coventry and he expects to travel in the evening. But Jimmy Case is going out to see the police on Christmas Eve. Uh, and I looked that up. The police were playing the Brighton Centre as part of their synchronicity tour. Then he's training on Christmas morning, followed by home for a nice turkey, then walking it off on a windswept Brighton seafront. And Alan Evans would be at the Villa training ground. Just on that, the going to see the police, I'm sure he says he's going to see them with his family. But he has like a, a three-year-old and a five-year-old, so I'm, I'm hoping... They're getting babysat rather than going along to the gig. It was a different time back then. You could take them <laughs> to, to gigs. You yeah. know, it's not like it's not like nowadays where you get you know sort of sitting there with Premier League footballers going, "Oh, who you have to see? Oh, see the Wu Tang Clan with the kids." Like, you know, <laughs> you know. The the Alex McLeish one. So the I, I really like the the last part. So which part of Christmas Day are you most looking forward forward to? And he says because the wee fella is just beginning to understand what Christmas is all about. I love watching him open his presents, but I enjoy every day about it. So I actually, I, I sent a copy of this to, to John McLeish, who was two and a half at this time, and I basically said, listen, look at the last comment there. And his, his reply was just a big smile. So that, that said everything that for me on that. Well, the next question is, where would you like to spend Christmas Day? So Simon Stainwood says he would like to spend Christmas Day in Lamont. I think that this is a wee uh, mishearing down the telephone line, as there appears to be no place called Lamont. So he said he'd like to spend Christmas in Lamont, where they filmed White Christmas. Now, White Christmas <laughs> is set in Vermont, uh, although it was filmed <laughs> entirely in Southern California. So I'm assuming that the guy down the telephone line has misheard him. Maybe Simon was, you know, partaking in a few wines when he was on the phone at that. Oh, what? No particularly interesting answers. Alex McLeish, a man of simple pleasures, no place like home, watching the box. Kenny Hibbert, a log cabin in the Swiss Alps. Arthur Graham wants to go somewhere warm in Spain. Uh, Jimmy Case is back in Liverpool at the Allerton Hotel, meeting up with his family. And uh, Alan Evans is back home in Scotland. And I think Alan was from Dunfermline uh, originally. See, I, th- I think Kenny Hibbert's got like the most interesting answer because then it leads on to one like a bit later on as, as you go through some of like, the extra questions. Like I like the idea of a, of a log cabin in the Swiss Alps. Very specific that it's the Swiss Alps as well. Like He's not interested anywhere else. Like he, Not a log cabin in the Lake District, like a log cabin in the Swiss Alps. And looking like he does, I mean, there's a there's a documentary looking like, like going around like that. It's also interesting, Arthur Graham is the only one that wants to go somewhere hot and sunny. Everybody else, sort of, it comes yeah, across yeah. as if they see Christmas as being that that stereotypical snow and, you know, warm in front of a fire. But Arthur Graham's like, no, get me somewhere hot. Arthur Graham wants warm weather training, doesn't he? He's, he doesn't want his muscles seizing up over the winter break. <laughs> he wants to come back fully fr- fully fresh. So this is a perennial work, a Christmas question for these magazines. Who would you like to spend Christmas Day with? And uh, there's a couple of predictable answers in there as well. So Simon Steenrod, it's singing superstar Rod Stewart. Alex McLeish, perhaps not a man of simple pleasure after all. He didn't say as his wife would kill him. Uh, 
but seriously <laughs> though, Christmas is a family affair and he loves being with them. Kenny Hibbert wants to spend it with Jack Nicholas. Arthur Graham, again, a family affair. Uh, Jimmy Case, I've just been looking at a picture of Dolly Parton, <laughs> but I doubt my wife would agree to her coming round. It's just that I've just been looking at a picture of Dolly Parton. Yeah, this one. Incidentally, yeah, just the other man, I was looking at it. Not that it was anything to do with this question coming up. They're brilliant, man. And then Alan Evans, millionaire pop star Rod Stewart. Yeah, yeah, not not just normal pop star, not, not just normal pop star Rod Stewart, the millionaire version of Rod Stewart. Not at the start of his career. I want him now when he's a big draw. Like, what president would you most like? Simon Steinrod says a Porsche 911 Turbo. Alex McQueen says I agree with Simon, a Porsche 911 Turbo. I'm sort of guessing that um, when he's been asked, he's kind of went, no idea. And then interviewers went, well, Simon Steinrod said he would like a Porsche. Oh yeah, yeah, that would be good. That would go. I'd do that as well. I, I, I was thinking on that, Tom, I was thinking of it slightly different. I was thinking that maybe he did answer it with a Porsche 911 and the interviewer has said, oh, that's what Simon Stainrod said as well. It's all right, yeah, I agree with him. So that, that's how I read that one. But I think yours sounds a bit funnier. Also as well, like, I don't know about now, but like looking at Alex McLeese these days, like can you imagine him being a bit of like a sort of speed demon back in the day? Like, <laughs> it doesn't seem right, does it? So, of course, uh, Alex McLeese did be spelling Charles Aston Villa, didn't he? did, yeah. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was Charles of Birmingham City as well, were we? Now, you see, you see, the thing is, though, right? Like, I know at the time, everyone was making a big fuss about, oh, he's come from Birmingham City, and, like, that wasn't the issue. That, that should never have been the issue. That was, it was a great narrative. Don't get me wrong, great narrative. But he just got relegated with Birmingham City. It was the bit that everyone seemed to miss out. You know, if he'd <laughs> finished top six with Birmingham City and then came to Villa, everyone would be like, ah, oh, fair play, but... If you've just been relegated with your rivals and then you come across and go, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. And you're like, that's not a great plan, that is it? That's not going to get the fans on board. And, and to be fair, like I was quite vociferous and, and vocal with my lack of support for, for Alex McLeish. But yeah, he, he, he was on, he, he got a hard, he got a hard, hard run from the fans, unfortunately. He was never really given an opportunity. But yeah, fair play for the boy for doing it. It's, it takes a lot to, uh, to go from, as you said, your rivals across the, the water and try and do it. But yeah. Wrong, wrong time, unfortunately, for him. What present would you most like? Kenny Hibbert, nothing could beat last Christmas present, a nine-studded diamond ring. But he'd like, he'd like a winning card in the Daily Express million pound yeah. game. Like, again, though, like this this whole thing, of, like, of looking at Kenny Hibbert, I'm now, I've now got a vision of his life. Like, he wants to go to the Alps. He's got this, this like, I don't know, like, in my head, I'm imagining, like, an NFL Super Bowl ring. Thing that like he wears whenever he goes out to like a steak restaurant with his with his wife. So all right, we're gonna put the nine the nine studded ring on. Like just what a what a Lothario this fella is, man. I'm I'm pretty sure Kenny. I'm I'm, I'm absolutely certain actually he was from Bradford. So you can, <laughs> stick, you can stick a Bradford accent on that as well, and you've, you've got quite a character. Yeah, proper like winkle picker shoes as well. Like just Stetsons. He's probably got Stetsons <laughs> for no reason. Yeah. Kenny's other answer, I think, is very much of his time as well, um, when he's asking for the, the winning numbers in the Daily Express game. I think this was the era where footballers would say, like, I, you know, I want to win some money. Or so. You don't really see that now. <laughs> I'm talking about, I'd like to come into some money. Arthur Graham's looking for a sheepskin coat. Jimmy Case asked for a pair of purdy shotguns. Expensive but nice for my shooting hobby. Alan Evans just doesn't care as long as you surprise him. <laughs> so he's, he's gonna get he's gonna get a Porsche 911. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, interesting to be, be collection of answers there for uh, Christmas. 
we do come to think with things from a, a Scottish slant um, generally. You've got Alan Evans there, Arthur Graham, you've got Alan McLeish. Simon Steinrod played in Scotland with Falkirk and Dundee as well. So, I mean, there's a there's a, a good deal of, you know, interest there for Scottish people reading all that, but fun otherwise for everybody else. Also as well, though, very different if you were to try to do that now, because obviously, like, you know, back in, in the early 80s, and that, there was a large Scottish contingent playing in the top in the top leagues. Mm. Whereas now, you just, you, I don't know, like you, you have so few examples to, to look at and it's just it's quite depressing now isn't it really well let's just say it's, it wouldn't be a two-page spread would it nah it'd be a pamphlet that is attached to the inside maybe obviously you've got super john mcginn we have got super john mcginn what a what a little legend he is the energizer bunny just great player <laughs> yeah right so we move on the uh, jump to page five page five belt up bobby people will think i'm a dirty player storms sam allardyce so this is a big Sam and he's sort of swarthy uh, playing days with his, his, his Tash. Uh, No-nonsense defender Sam Allardyce spoke this week of his battle to rebuild his career as part of Bobby Gould's exciting Coventry crusade. I don't think you hear exciting in Coventry in the same sense often. Uh, and a six foot one and a quarter inch hard man also hit back at the critics who've labelled him a dirty player. Former Bolton Sunderland centre-half has been involved in a number of controversial incidents this season, including a certain tackle on England and Ipswich striker Paul Marner and a clash with Birmingham's Mick Harford. Any memories of uh, Sam Allardyce as a player, Tony? Like, very, very little. Very little. Like I mean, so... Like obviously, with so I'm grow, I grew up in the northeast. So when he went to Sunderland as manager, I had a slight memory of him, sort of not seeing him live, obviously, but knowing that he did play for Sunderland. But little bits of seeing him, but not I, I couldn't sort of say, oh, he's he's the definitive hard man. I think I was sort of if I was to pick a, a mustached hard man from the eighties, I'd go with John Walk from Ipswich um, as my my archetypal hard man. But I'm also quite surprised to hear that that Sam Allardyce is six foot one. Like I know, I know, six foot one's not huge, but like you look at him, you think, is he six foot one? Nah. I'm wondering. I'm wondering about that a quarter part. Do you think that was from Sam? He put it and a quarter. Get that written down as well. That better be in there. That sounds like a Bobby Gould thing, though. Like just no, no, stick, make it, make him look taller, make him look imposing. <laughs> like Sam Allardyce is probably five foot ten, and then Bobby Gould's written it up for him. We just went, nah, he's six foot one and a quarter. That'll do. Yeah, I, I agree with you though. I, I, I'm now I think about it. It, it doesn't. I think sometimes you you've got in your head that players are short, and when I say short, five ten or something like that, and then when you see them, they're like six foot two, and you're like, mm. well, they must be around other giants. That must be what it is. But yeah, it doesn't doesn't strike me as somebody that I thought was over six foot. So he wasn't at Coventry for long, twenty eight games before he was off to Huddersfield. There's a bit it says my biggest worry was dropping a clanger that would cost us a goal. But unfortunately, that hasn't happened. So I'm wondering if that that must be meant to be fortunately. I think that comes at, at game 28 when he's then moved off to Huddersfield. Because yeah. that, but that suggests my biggest worry was dropping a clanger that would cost us a game. But unfortunately, that hasn't happened. So that suggests that it did happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Either he's dropped a few clangers or they've just got, unfortunately, correctly incorrectly. I spent the back end of last season in the wilderness at Millwall because I didn't get on with manager George Graham. I can't really see the two of them getting on well. George Graham and Sam Allard, perhaps both fond of a bung. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. So maybe maybe it's not a grammatical error then in the uh, in the I I'm worried about creating a clanger. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe he knows he has to he is gonna give away a clanger in seven games and can't say it. He's like, Oh, I think I'm worried about this clanger that I'm supposed to do in a couple of weeks. I mean, I've not done it yet, but like it's coming. Um, so potentially that's why he only played twenty eight games. He knew he was gonna do the clanger. So if we move on, pages six and seven. Match chat for me, it's slim pickings out of this lot. Yep. Have you, Andy, Tony? Have you spotted anything here you want to focus on? I, I agree with you. Not much in it, but the only thing was the on the map. So it's on the first page of the two, and it's geography student Martin Hurst mapped Bristol City's route through to the third round of the FA Cup after the youngster had seemingly lost his way. Twenty minutes of the all Bristol Cup tie left, it seemed inevitable that the player manager, Terry Cooper, would pull the 20-year-old out of the fray and bring himself on as a substitute. But with the game delicately poised at 1-1, the former Leeds player took off experienced winger Alan Crawford, and what an inspired move it proved to be. Just two minutes from time, Martin, who's currently studying at Bristol University, latched onto a pass from his manager to score the goal which earned City a third-round tie at Notts County. And just reading that, it's like, I, I love these stories of the making of heroes, you know, the youngsters that it's like, they, they may have gone to do nothing else in their career, but they will be, they'll be a legend for that moment there. And I just, I, I, I like that. He's the Roy Sandor of his day, isn't he? Like, he's, he's got himself a little bit of glory there from, from, not, from nothing. Um, there's, there's other bits I quite like in this one as well. And again, it's like, maybe it's like part of the time, but like Gibson's glory. So, I mean, as an opening gambit, tiny Terry Gibson. <laughs> nothing like, like shooting straight away there, is there? I mean, we know he's, oh, come on, like, oh, just like, cut him a bit of slack here. And then my other favourite bit is down at the bottom where we've got the uh, the goal for goal winner. Yeah. Now, Christmas will be even more special for match reader Terry Gosby, uh, who is 15, apparently. And that picture is of a 35-year-old welder, right? There's no <laughs> way he's 15. I found Terry on Twitter, but he's uh, he's only tweeted about five times in the last five years or something. It's because he's 75 now. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder if there was, a, there was an age limit on the competition, and that's why you yeah. put that. Well, again, though, what I've noticed, like flicking through the magazine, and this is like, I'm sure you guys will be able to back this up because you do this a lot, but looking at players who are clearly either in their early to mid-twenties who look like they're about 42. Uh, it's just an age, isn't it, of like 80s footballers. They're either completely bald or have the most hair you could ever imagine. There's only two hairstyles, isn't it? Long hair or no hair. And 24, male pattern baldness was a thing in 1983. I don't know if you're aware, there is a, there's a Twitter account. It was an 80s age footballers aging badly or something like that no good for that so oh, that, that's a really good one to follow they come up with some some crackers there Tiny Terry Gibson became the first player for 11 years to score a hat-trick against Liverpool when he had three in Coventry's 4-0 win the last player to achieve this feat was Keith Weller for Leicester in 1972 interesting wee bit of trivia moving on so birth, birthday team of the week this really feels like a page filler doesn't it birthday team of the week <laughs> Well, the thing, I th- I'm sure, was it on the previous page? Yeah, there was a star sign, Charlie Nicholas one, about, and it's like, now they're doing this, and it, listen, if there's one thing that gets me wound up and riled, it's astrology. 
it's a bit of background. When I went to university, I went to do astronomy and astrophysics. That's not what I ended up doing. That's what I went to do. And whenever I told anybody that, they'd say, oh, what's, what's my star sign? What's my star sign? So I hate astrology with an absolute passion. But they've got that star sign on the previous page and now this birthday team of the week, which, okay, maybe isn't a star sign thing, but it's like, it's related, isn't it? It's related. An old Scottish front line. Yeah. Smith of Brighton, Sally Nicholas at Arsenal and Ian McCulloch in Notts County. It's not, a, it's not a bad team to Yeah, be it's not really. Eh? I mean, Jimmy Nicholl and Terry Butcher at the back. But again, they're David Armstrong proving that, that theory with, with the 80s, either yeah, have either absolutely. hair or no hair. Um, yeah, Paul, I think he was about 26 or something. Yeah, Paul, Dyson, Paul Dyson's losing his hair as the as the photograph's being taken. Like he's, <laughs> You can see his, his fringe is going all the way back up the top. Uh, a young-looking Terry Butcher there as well. So actually, that there's another Scot in there, Bob Doyle at Portsmouth. So he actually he's at, he died last March, age 65, and he was born and raised in Dumbarton. He joined Barnsley straight from school and helped Portsmouth to the old third division title in 1983, playing 44 out of 46 games that season. He played a total of 188 games for Portsmouth. Um, but, but as you mentioned, there's a front line there, four Scots there and, and a couple of Scots and a couple of players who let's let's face it, they could they could be Scottish by um association, Terry Butcher and Jimmy Nicholl with the amount of time they've spent in Scotland. But when when I, when I first saw this, I, I didn't read the birthday team of the week. When I first saw this, as as you said there, I, I was looking and thinking, oh this must be team of the month or something. And it looks pretty decent. Then I read birthday team of the week and it's like oh, not interested now. In Opposite page we've got the Graham Soonis column. The Scotland skipper gives his frank views on, on their latest international upset. <laughs> <laughs> but he looks forward to with confidence to the next World Cup. Little did they know what was coming, eh? Oh, it's another upset, another upset. We're just getting to this World Cup and we're just getting to that World Cup. Little did they know what was on the horizon. Yeah. So Jock Steen under pressure. And as soon as says certain people are gunning for him. <laughs> but uh, yeah. For as long as I can remember, we seem to have made a catalogue of mistakes as the Scottish national team. Uh, and then straight in with an excuse. I must admit, I was disappointed with the state of the Windsor Park pitch. It was a disgrace. <laughs> and the poorest of national surface I played on, it was like a cow field. And I'm sure the Irish players were embarrassed by it. He talks about the World Cup draw. Once again, England have had their slice of luck by being drawn in a group which produces two qualifiers. They should be able to go through so bemoaning the, the the tough group that Scotland have got and the uh, relatively easy group that England have been handed. Well, he's got a point though. I mean, like you know, every every qualification campaign, Scott like Scotland get drawn against you know, even the Euros get drawn against Brazil, you know, and like so that's a bit difficult. Whereas England get Lapland and like my old school team or whatever. It's just, it's not right. I tell you what, it's it's fixed if Scotland are getting drawn against Brazil for the Euros. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> hey, I tell you, like my, my my international allegiance is, is Scotland, and like we would we would I'm I'm convinced we would get drawn against Brazil in the Euros at some point. And and FIFA or UEFA would just sit there and just go, yeah yeah, you're playing Brazil. Whatever, just shut up, get on with it. Like you know, well, what, what I like is um, at this point Spain weren't all that. Mm-hmm. Spain weren't anything that we that worried about you know I think it says that the unpredictable Spaniards they're certainly not that nowadays anybody else pick anything out of that Graham Soonis column it's just nice to see that he's angry even in the 80s it's just he's it's just he's Graham Soonis he, he was born <laughs> angry and like just 
even even back then they must like when they were proofreading it just going oh just, we've got to put this in haven't we let's not even attempt to take anything out of it otherwise they'll come round and they'll complain <laughs> so just put it word for word just stick it in and it's fine like don't question it I mean even in the, the little picture that's with it it looks as though he's barking at somebody and, you know there's <laughs> you can just feel the spit coming out of the mouth and yeah. and and he signed it as well hasn't he mm-hmm Swish signature yeah. as well. So pages ten and eleven are a couple of couple of pinups. How sexy does Kenny Jacket look there? Though? Exactly. Yeah, Kenny Jacket, Watford and Wales. It's a great cap. Mm. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, the uh, Iveco sponsor as well. That Watford cap. That shiny material from the from the era. Was that the, the kit that they had on the um, on the front cover of Subutio? Was that the was that the Watford kit? Was that from a couple of years later? Oh, you'd be testing me on that one. Well, you're right, yeah, that probably like shiny Umbro kit is lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the black piping across the shoulder bit. And mm. just the, the combination, again, I've probably mentioned this, but I love those combination of colours, the black, mm. red and yellow. And I don't know that they should work, but they do. They work really well, I think. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, know what you mean. I also like as well in, in this uh, instance where he's, he's just getting his photograph taken, he's clearly got sock ties on. He's got his tie-ups on, like just to make sure that they don't fall down. He's gonna, you're gonna squat down a little bit, Kenny. All right, I'll put my tie-ups on, just make sure my socks don't ruffle. Yeah. Um, so that, that's that's a nice little touch as well, I think. It's, it's quite a classic pose from the time as well. This sort of crouched down, one hand on the on on the ground. Normally, as I, I say, sometimes to finish it off, the only thing it's missing is one hand on a football in front of them, and that's the classic pose for me. Yeah. And opposite Kenny, you've got a picture of Arnold Muir at Manchester United, best known, I guess, for his spell at uh, Ipswich Town, or best known in Britain anyway, for his spell at Ipswich Town. Uh, but a, a quite well-decorated player, was at Ajax before, where he'd won the European Cup. He's one of only nine players to have won all three European club trophies, because he won the UEFA Cup with Ipswich, and then in his second spell with Ajax, he won the European Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, and he's one of only six players to have won all the UEFA-sanctioned uh, international trophies, because as I asked, won the Intercontinental Cup uh, as well, and also won the, the European Championship with Holland at 37, and I believe still the oldest winner of the, uh, the UEFA European Championship as well, uh, where he provided that pass for Van Basten school, which I always mm-hmm. say what a great ball it was, but Muir himself says it was a bad cross which is why Van Basten just had to hit it like that. That's a great CV, that, isn't it? It's incredible that... But it's incredible that maybe he's not lauded as much as he should be. I'm, I'm sure there are people who, who who will absolutely sing his praises, but he should be an absolute legend by the sounds of it. Not bad at all, is it? Yeah, for a guy like who won a lot before he came to England and then mm. still won the FA Cup at Manchester United as well. And a, and a Manchester United team that didn't win an awful lot uh, in that in that year, we still still won the FA Cup with him, and then like I say, went back to Ajax, won another European yeah. trophy. Yeah. With Ajax, and his his last international game was the nineteen eighty eight European Championship final. So yeah, mm-hmm. remember just just a, a classy midfielder, obviously him and France Tyson. Yeah, uh, were in that Ipswich team, and in an era where you get very few foreign imports into the mm-hmm. the British mm-hmm. game. But the the ones that came were were top draw, though, weren't they? That was the thing, wasn't it? And Tyson was was great. Also, another thing to pick up on, on just on that poster alone, what a hamstring! Just that bit of hamstring just popping out. Look how look how tight that is, and he's not even just nonchalant. 
with the pass and it's and it's tight. There's not an ounce of body fat there, is there? He's, he's, quite, he's quite thin. He's quite thin there, isn't he? He's, he's quite, but yeah, that's a bulging. I, I hate to say this, we may have to put an 18 on certificate on this one. He's got a right bulging vein there. It, we're in a rare non-sponsored uh, top. Mm. Just before Sharp Electronics uh, came to sponsor, I guess. Yeah, and the older version of the Man United badge as well, mm. isn't it? Yeah, another classic strip, but we say that of most strips from these periods. Yeah, we do. Yeah, for me, the 80s was really the best period. Mm-hmm. And again, even even with the black shorts, it doesn't look like you don't instantly go, oh, they're wearing black shorts, like because United is like red shirt, white shorts, black socks. Yeah. But mm-hmm. even with the black shorts, it still looks classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point because I never even questioned it or give it a second thought that they were black. Mm-hmm. So that's, that backs that up. Yeah. Will we move on? Are we, are we going to go over canon? I'm all right going over canon because it's over three pages. Well, we'll let if you get anything to say about canon, uh, Tony, this uh, three page comic strip. Oh, it was, it was just, again, it was one of those things where I remember like I looked at it and I was like, oh, God, they used to do all this stuff, didn't they? And it just, loads of like sort of really, um, sort of memories just coming flooding back, like <laughs> thinking like, this is just mental. Burt Reynolds as a football scout <laughs> just rolled around like it's either Burt Reynolds or it's um what is he called Derek Jameson from from Spider-Man um it's uh, either it's J- either J- J- Jonah Jameson Jonah Jameson that's the one yeah yeah uh so it's either of those two with the mustaches on there and having a great time and also again I've, I don't, I'm aware I've come out with with sexy Kenny jacket. Look at that hamstring on uh, on Europe. <laughs> but check out the calves on number nine. Like there's, again, bulging calves with a header. I mean, granted he's scoring a header in an empty net, <laughs> but socks down with the ankles, Jack Grealish style as well. Um, forearms ripped up with a, a long sleeve shirt on. He's having a great time. The person on the TV is on the first page in the second part of it. There's somebody on the TV and he looks like a famous film star, an American film star. Um, uh, Burt Lancaster? Was it the other one? Um, Kurt Douglas. That, that's who I thought it was when I saw him there. Because and, and, mm. you, you mentioned, who was it? Burt, Burt Lancaster was it you mentioned? Or Burt Reynolds? Burt Reynolds, yeah. I yeah. Thought, yeah. And even, even, the fir- even the first guy, like he's, he's got that, that look of Bobby Robson about him, the main manager with the tweed jacket on. And then he's sat, next to what looks like either a Russian spy uh, with his slick back hair or possibly Ron- Ronald Reagan. So again, I mean, I've I filled a lot of the blanks in myself um, <laughs> as to what's gone on. And I've possibly made a really, really interesting um, um, piece. But yeah, I just remember looking at these, just going, this is, this is great. This is great fun. So, so this, this is the first one that I've really looked at in any sort of detail as Tom will tell you and and Tom you may be able to answer this so it sort of goes through introducing the storyline which is the the main the main man and his son are going to be up playing up against his other son who's just moved to Everton and there's there's all scandal stuff going on in the background as, as would normally happen but when he goes in and starts talking he shows a video to his, his team about Everton and there's two or three different bits which mention uh, you've got to watch how King comes in from deep to get in. And I'm just wondering where these sort of 
educational aids at the time as well to give a bit of knowledge about because they're, they're mentioning actual Everton players. So we've got to watch the boy Stephen. If we give him enough room in midfield, he'll run the show. And then there's one about Andy King as well or Irvin. I'm just, is, is that a regular feature in it where they do maybe focus on certain players and give a little bit as part of the storyline? Because, yeah, because I think as a, as a work of fiction, it's sort of, it very much looks like what Dream Team models itself on in the yeah. in the, the late 90s. Like it just clearly went through all of these and just went, let's just copy these. Like no one's gonna no one's gonna question it. <laughs> so I've turned over the page there to the third page of it, and we've got a, a lineup of the 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 team. What 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 what's the name of the team? It's um can't remember. Anton Town. Stanton Town in the day look a a right rough bunch that that looks like the you know the fourth division in the Ryman's league or something like that those are rough looking people and even his son so the very last piece of the cartoon is his son saying only that Stanton Town are going out of the cup I owe them nothing as for my brother Nick he'll well he just better watch out and he he looks like a commentator he looks as if he should be maybe in his 50s or something They've certainly is is focused on age that much have been in other articles. They don't seem to be that focused on producing artwork that's age appropriate. You know, it, this one. It looks like it looks like whoever they've got whoever they've got in to do those faces, they've went, right, here's a job for you, mate, right, lads. So you're gonna draw eleven players, right? Oh yeah, that's fine, yeah, that's cool. Uh, can you do them in their early twenties? <laughs> no, no, I can only draw forty five year olds. So they're going to look like that. Um, okay, how can you differentiate the age? Some of their faces will be small. <laughs> and then a couple will have really big heads. They're probably older. Like, I just... That's just spawn. <laughs> it's, it's fiction. <laughs> yeah, that forehead's going north slowly, though, isn't it? So, so is Glenn Strider. <laughs> well, look at, look, at, look at number seven, Andy Barnes. He lives in a van. Yeah, something else. I'm glad we stopped off in this one. That was good. Page opposite that is hands off, but I didn't want to leave Forest. It says Van Brooklyn. So Hans Van Hans Van Brooklyn, the uh, Nottingham Forest and Holland goalkeeper, uh, who has fallen foul of Brian Clough. It wasn't the first, I'm sure it wasn't the last. Um, so uh, Clough seemed to have a problem uh, with uh, Van Brooklyn getting repeatedly selected for Holland and having to release him for international fixtures. The two of them seem to seem to fall out. Uh, I was very surprised when he put a price in my head and told PSV, who were interested in me, that they had to go ahead with negotiations. Now were pull out. That was the only reason the Dutch club moved in. Yeah, so he left Forest and joined PSV Eindhoven, where he went on to win the nineteen eighty eight European Cup, as well as six Dutch titles and three Dutch cups, and was the goalkeeper in the Dutch nineteen eighty eight European Championship winning team. What I recall of him was he, he was he was a really good goalkeeper. Yeah, the same here. Uh, and it was one of these ones I just loved his name as well, Hans Van Brooklyn. It was just, yeah. you know, very memorable. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah, when again when I, I turned the page and I was just like, oh, I remembered him. <laughs> again, like just jumping out, like oh, okay, what was his story like? Because again, you know, what so it's eighty three, so I'd have been three at the time, so I wouldn't have known the story at the time. But yeah. being aware that looking back, you know. There's, there's sort of some backstory here, but yeah, just go, ah, oh, Hans Van Brocklin, okay, well, let's see what goes on here. So he mentions there that um, they, they were in, they beat Celtic in the UEFA Cup 
that game was hands first after an injury and he said it was one of the highlights of my Forest career. It was a superb victory, especially when you consider it was achieved in front of 60,000 Celtic fanatics. So yeah, I remember those games between Celtic and, and, and Nottingham Forest. We spoke on another podcast about the, the run-up to that game. Didn't we that Brian Clough was basically saying that, yeah, I'm not thinking about Celtic and I don't know if it was mine, probably was mine play for him. I'm sure we spoke about that. All right. Can I hand over to you now for the moment, Andy? Yeah, so, Tony, you, you may or may not be aware of the, the features that would be in Match Magazine and Shoot Magazine from the time and, well, basically throughout the whole publications. It's the focus on or the, the match, the, what would they call it, pro, player profile. Essentially, they ask a player from the day a bunch of questions and they just give the answer. So we're going to turn that on you. So I'm just going to fire some questions towards you. And if you just give us the answers. Cool. Okay. Full name? Tony Jameson. What's your birthplace? Sunderland. First car? Uh, Renault Clio. What colour? Blue. That was just a bonus question. Mm. Favourite player? Dennis Bergkamp. Okay. Favourite team? Villa. Most memorable match? Sunderland versus Charlton playoff final, the four four and the penalties and the long drive home. Yeah, it's been your biggest thrill in your life. Um, it's going to sound really horrible. Like, like parenthood seems to be pretty decent at the minute, but yeah. either that, or if we're going to go professionally, um, it's going on tour, decent enough. Yeah, good stuff. What's been your biggest disappointment? Um. Aston Villa fans, basically, just <laughs> football in general. <laughs> okay, now listen, we'll take that. What's the best country you've visited? Best country? Um, tell you what, no, France. Okay. South France was lovely. Right. What's your favourite food? Pretty much I can eat anything, but give me a curry any day of the week. Yeah, I like that. Miscellaneous um, likes, so give me two things that you like doing. Two things I like doing. Uh, I'm big on the gym, so I, I like going to CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a big well, big video game player as well, I suppose. It's probably the easiest one. Yeah. Okay, and the flip side, miscellaneous dislikes, so two things that drive you up the wall. Oh, um, celebrity gossip and um, just nonsense on the telly. Right, it's the same thing. I think, I think those two things are pretty much <laughs> intertwined. <laughs> um, all right, in that case, um, like crowds. Crowds. Mm. Okay. What's your favourite TV show of all time? Probably The American Office at the minute, I think. Um, yeah, ask me again in a couple of weeks, I might change it, but The American Office, I think. Yeah. Favourite singers? Give me two favourite singers or groups. Uh, Biffy Clyro. Mm. And you too. Okay. Favourite actors? Two again. Uh, Johnny Depp. And I'm going to go to Caprio actually. Was the Johnny Depp one in relation to his recent performance in the court? Yeah, it's brilliant, <laughs> isn't it? Like, it was always believable. <laughs> and DiCaprio was only for the departed, so. Um, Excellent. Okay, best friend. Who's your best friend? Um, you know, I don't really think I've got a best friend per se. I had one, but then we, we fell out. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've got a, a collection. I've got a small group of, of good friends that I trust, but I don't tend to have one specific one. Okay. Who's been the biggest influence on you? 
Um, in terms of what, in professionally yeah, or just in terms Let's go with your career. Um, probably Billy Connolly. Okay, yep, great answer. I'll take that. Yeah. And finally, which person in the world would you most like to meet? Billy Connolly, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably him, yeah. Great. Yeah, see, see the big man, yeah. No, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. That's cool, man. Tom? So, stay with you for a, for a bit, Tony. So, I said at the beginning, you're a self-confessed football manager addict. So, you created a one-man show on football manager, and I know you're doing a podcast mm. you know, about football manager. So, I wonder if you could take them in turn, tell us a wee bit about the, about the show, and, and then talk to us a wee bit about your, your podcast. Yeah, so, so, basically, what happened was, um, so, I, I wrote this, and well, I wrote a little five-minute bit about, about football manager, so, taking Blythe Spartans, from Blue Square North, which it would have been at the time, to Champions League glory, which took a bit of effort, to be honest. And it was a strange bit of material to do in like weekend comedy clubs because presumably most people have gone out. They don't want to hear blokes chatting about football manager. They want to be out there with their wives, their partners, their workmates or whatever. They're just out for a good time. So I had this five-minute bit and I kind of managed to get away with it enough um, on stage. So that was working quite well. Then I need to unfortunately do a name drop at this point so apologies for that but um i got asked to do a couple of, of warm-up shows with uh, with kevin bridges and did the uh did the bit in front of him he's a big football manager player as well so he really likes it and he was like so oh, i like that bit there's a couple of guys in glasgow writing a book called football manager stole my life so he said get in touch with them send the story through they'll put you in the book and then see what goes from there so we did that then uh, I got an email to go to a games conference, which Miles Jacobson, the fellow who runs Sports Interactive, he was talking at. Turned up there, sat down, chatted away to him. He says, oh, you're the comedian. I'm like, yeah. Uh, he says, he says what, what's the plan with the thing? I was like, well, I've got this little bit. I might write a show. And he went, all right, do it. We'll help PR it for you. It sounds fun. I was like, okay. Again, no idea what I was going to do with it because this is like comedy and I'm trying to do jokes about football manager and thinking, well, where am I going to do this? Oh, Edinburgh Festival. That makes complete sense. Um, and again, so it was my first show. Mm-hmm. So a lot of pressure to do something that's going to get audiences in and not 100% sure if this was the right thing, the wrong thing. But thankfully, the, the sports interactive guys were really good. They helped sort of push tickets. Um, and the show slowly became what I wanted it to be by the time we got to the fringe. Did the shows, we sold the run out, which for like a debut show is is really, really impressive. So well happy with that. Um, the show was well received. Again, people got it, even like sort of uh, reviewers who weren't coming for football manager stuff still understood the concept of it and why it was there. And then off the back of that, we ended up just getting asked to do it in more places. And eventually it became a tour and it all kind of like snowballed a bit. And it went from this little five minute bit to a 60 minute show to a 90 minute show that had an interval. And then we took it around the country and then we wrote it again and did like more bits for it and came back to the fringe with a second run. And then it went back out again. So it was kind of like about sort of two and a bit years worth of, of great fun, just rocking up to different parts of the country, being in a room with, let's face it, 150 other blokes, from the, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, going, yeah, tell me about uh, Kim Kallstrom. Like, All right, cool, we'll do that then. That's, that's what we want for an hour, we'll do that. So I, I referred to it as a support group. That's how it became, and it became very appropriate. 
<laughs> but it was blown out of your sort of genuine, genuine love for playing football manager. Yeah, totally, man. And like it was, um, it was crazy to sort of think that, and even now looking back on it, to think that we got away with it and writing shows about football manager because there's loads of stuff I'd like to write about and I've not been able to either, I've not got the skill to do it or I've not got the right delivery or like I can't get the right feeling or the right message across. But the football manager stuff just really seemed to click and resonate. And when we went places, I was always worried that I wasn't giving enough football manager stuff and I was maybe hiding it behind stand-up that was sort of going, oh, well, if they don't like the football manager thing, that I've always got stand-up and I can sort of get my way through that. But we always ended up leaving the shows sort of going, oh, could have ditched a lot of that stuff out and just had a chat for an hour and that would have been people would have left happy so it was great and like just meeting loads of like really cool people like everyone who came to the show was really really nice we'd sort of sit and we'd just talk in the bar afterwards and we mentioned like uh, we mentioned John McGinn earlier on he actually was in the front row when we did Glasgow stand and I met him afterwards and then so he was like oh he said I've played against your boys I said oh well didn't put two and two together or whatever and then uh, I was like that was John McGinn <laughs> Don't make any sense. Um, and again, like we've just gone to places which I never thought we'd go to and just meeting people and like everyone's got their story as well, which is great. Like, because the show, I, again, it's a weird one to write because I obviously had to have like 90 minutes worth of stuff for if the audience weren't going to join in and play along. So I had to have 90 minutes worth of material. There were some nights we'd get through maybe half of it. Like, because the audience were just there and they wanted to have fun and we were yeah, playing yeah. with stuff and like their stories were great. And it was like, well, your story's great. I'm not going to even get to my bit. Like we, you guys are coming out with some gold here. Um, so I was going to say, did you pick up more material along the way by speaking to people? Oh, like hundred percent. Like the, the show that started was definitely not the show that finished. And, and it just kept evolving. And, and I know like we, we, we put it out on, um, on Steam, which is like the video game platform. So I'm the only comedian in the world, I think, still, who's got a stand-up special on, on Steam. Um, yeah. We did a DVD. I've now put it on YouTube because it like 60 years old, like just bung it on YouTube now. And <laughs> someone sent me a message and went, oh, I said, you've missed out the bit with um, with Avika Strock. And I was like, oh, God, yeah, like we filmed that after. Like, um, So yeah, I don't know if you know, there's a guy called uh, called Johnny Sharples on, on uh, Twitter. Yeah. Uh, he did a great bit about um, about Avika Strock, who was a, a Croatian lad that he bought uh, for five million. He became his greatest ever player, um, and he got like he printed up like programs for his testimonial and stuff, and <laughs> shirts, and a, a Twitter feed, and it was like oh, so much great stuff. Um, and again, that just came as the tour was happening. So we we all the start of the tour that bit wasn't in, but it just built and built and built. And, and as you say, like every every night was a different show, which for me was great because it kept me sort of like excited about it. The audience knew that every night was their night and it wasn't going, oh, well, so I was in Milton Keynes last night and they said this, like, we go on, they go, right, right what's your stories? And everybody had a story and that was the great thing. Like, just you put it on them and just went, right, tell me what you got. And I'm not here to say my story is better than yours. I will champion whatever you come up with at this point. And, and like people would like cheer. Like if you sort of said, to go, Oh, what, what, have you, what have you done? What, what's your save game? And like, they'd, they'd give it a bit and people would cheer and be like, yeah, go on lads. Well done. And 
that was just the atmosphere that we had, and it was it was great. It was so cool, <laughs> yeah. like so cool. I think there's no casual player, a football manager. I think everybody who played it was sort of hard, half court right. And I found I used to play a lot, and I found it was a kind of icebreaker if you met somebody at a party or somewhere, and then next thing yeah. you know, Tontenzola Makoku and Terno Samba and Willie Howie. <laughs> Yeah, 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 Mark Kerr. Like you say, Mark Kerr to people, and they go, "Oh, Mark Kerr, yeah." <laughs> like, just and it's like, and it is daft. Like, because even a few years back, when when Arsenal bought Calstrom, like everybody just went mental. Just like, like he, football manager guy. Like he's had a career, <laughs> God knows how long, and he's just referred to as the football manager guy. Like, and it's just, it's amazing, man. Like, just the the bits, as you say, that bring people together just off the back of this one game has been really great. And off the back of that, obviously we're, like, we're now looking, we're doing like a podcast like that that's going to come out in, in, uh, in a couple of weeks. That's going to start, I've been starting doing like videos as well, like YouTube, like career games and stuff. And, uh, and again, like people are in the, in the football manager community, which is like a huge thing. I've all been getting in touch, been like, Oh, like come and like, come and like chat on this. I'm like, Oh, I'll give you a few tips here. And like, Oh, I'll, I'll have a look at it. And you're just like, Oh, okay, that's cool. And then, you scratch the surface and you're like, wow, there's like some pretty big players in here who are like doing this full time and they've got like huge followings and it's, it's just brilliant. Like everyone's been really great. And I think that's the, that's the main thing off the back of it. You know, the people who sort of are genuinely out there to help, like you, you'll notice yourselves, but like your own podcast, like people sort of going, that's a really cool idea. And like they're coming back and it's a bit of nostalgia and it's something different so they go, oh, I remember this, and I'll, I'll, I can sort of help out with, with this and that. And that's what I've really enjoyed about it, sort of getting in and just sort of having stuff where I'm not worried about going, oh, God, I hope it's funny and I hope it's decent. I'm just like, well, yeah, like if it's coming from the right place, then it should theoretically be good enough is, is where I'm thinking. So and so far, it's been relatively well received. And as I say, the podcast, we're really looking forward to that. That seems like it should be quite good. Uh, we're at the first episode recorded already, and that was a good laugh. So, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll be able to sort of, sort of do a bit of a bit of building on that as well. So, what's the the premise of the podcast? So, the, so the podcast called Football Manager Therapy, which again sort of ties in along along the lines of sort of the the football manager addict. We all, I suppose, as as you touched upon there, like we all are either sort of very casual players or fully down the rabbit hole. And I think that most of us are down the rabbit hole. So. So it's me and a guy called Matt Richards, who is previous, his previous background is wrestling. So he's also a big football manager player. Now he's now starting to do some writing for what culture and like loads of articles and stuff. So uh, he's coming at it from a really analytical, technical point of view. And I'm coming at it from just a bit more sort of idiocy. I think I think I'm playing the sort of, he's playing the straight guy and I'm playing the, playing the dumb guy. We, we have a, we've got a challenge together where we're both going to play career game not not on the same machine, but obviously we'll sort of interlink it as we sort of do it for the, for, for the end of twenty football manager twenty, and then when football manager twenty one comes out, we'll have a separate career running again on that. Uh, we started to follow, and this was kind of we weren't going to do it, but it sort of fell into our into our um, our laps. We've got two games that we play at the end of the first episode. One is. Um, and this is you can have this as a, a nice little sort of uh, thing. So uh, the first game is Brazilian footballer or just regular bloke, and that's off the back of Brazilian footballers now getting really random names like Alan. So we go through football manager, we find a guy, and we go, is that a Brazilian footballer or is it just a bloke who does windows? 
So that's a little game we've got. Then we hastily put together a little piece about Stephen Glass going to Atlanta. So that may be may become a thing that we start building upon. So we thought that was one of the most bizarre managerial movements from Frank DeBoer to Stephen Glass. It just seemed very football manager-esque. <laughs> so we're maybe going to, he might become a bit more of a feature. So, but yeah, but it seems good fun. And then we'll have guests and stuff every few weeks. So we're going to kind of don't want to just rely on just ourselves. Similar to yourself, like, you know, you, you, you know yourself, you get, get a couple of guests in, liven up a wee bit and um, bring something different to the table. So, so yeah, so hopefully it should be fun is, is what we're looking for. On forward to it. Yeah, it sounds a great list. Yeah, but in terms of your, your sort of further stand-up mm. career, in terms of doing further one-man shows, are you pigeonholed now as a kind of football guy, or are you feel you're able to do something that's completely different? I mean, I know Edinburgh, obviously Edinburgh is not happening this year, the Edinburgh Fringe, but yeah. So, so I think you're probably right. I think I, I spent so as I said, so, fo- so football was maybe about six years ago, and. I certainly do think that I got pigeonholed as, as the football manager guy. I got booked for like a load of a load of after dinners, which it's just that's not the crowd to talk about football manager. Like I'm I'm, I'm thankful that I can do like regular stand up and I can do football stand up as well. But like that wasn't what they were booking and that wasn't what they thought they were going to get. And I had loads of conversations going. Look, I understand that that you know you think I'm the football manager going to work. I've got other stuff that's going to be better suited, but don't say you've booked, don't say this guy's going to come on top of football manager because it's just not going to work, right? Yeah. Like, we'll do this, we'll do it and it'll be fine. And you know, some nights it was fine, some nights it wasn't fine. That's just the nature of the beast, but you know, we should have tried football manager stuff instead. Um, but like, I did, I did find I was getting pigeonholed a wee bit, and like, some clubs wouldn't. Yeah probably weren't booking me because of the fact that they just thought I was just doing football manager stuff and and that's fine that's completely fine so I sort of started doing just well not started doing but I started really trying to to push just normal stand-up stuff and and try and pull the football manager stuff back so we kind of went quiet on that for a couple of years and then it's only recently been really through lockdown to be honest that I thought you know what like everyone's at home like I think Miles had tweeted out that football manager like more people were playing it than ever before and I was like, well, actually, I wonder, because like, I don't know how to do stand-up just to a webcam. Like, and, and there's guys who are doing it, and they're doing it great. Like, they're really, really good at it. Like, I don't really know how I'd get in that mindset yet, but they're doing it so well. I'm like, I can't do it as well as they can, so why add more stuff into there that's, that's not as good? Whereas I was like, oh, what can I do? So do something creative. Well, let's have a look at football manager videos, podcasts, like people are in, people want stuff to watch, content, like no one can go anywhere. You might as well do it online. So I was like, oh, well, let's just try it and see what's what. And spoke to a few YouTubers and a few Twitch streamers uh, and said, look, you know, I'm thinking about this. What sort of pointers would you give me? And again, fair play to, they were lovely about it. I was like, look, I'm not coming to take food off your table. I'm nowhere near making money i don't want to make money i just want to get something out at the minute just to generate some content and and keep my brain ticking over and they were like so like so lovely just giving me loads of really really great advice so i thought well you know what let's have a go and if it's if, it, if people like it great if people don't like it doesn't matter really just something to keep the keep the brain ticking over sort of thing and and if it does become something then at least i'm making all my mistakes now and learn how to rectify it before it's like, all right, here's my thing. And 
like, oh, yeah, you've got so many people on board of it and going, oh, it's not really good, is it? Like, I'd rather build it up slowly and, and sort of get it better. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just something a bit different, really. I'm, I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. Yeah, good stuff. So, so just going to talk about, so with the show, what we do is we, we team up with a charity partner for each season. Mm. And as part of that, we try and get them exposure and donations if possible and things like that. So I'm going to just do a little readout here of the our current charity partner, which is called West Dumbartonshire Community Food Share. So this is a charitable organisation which provides various services and support to the local community, including the following. School uniform bank, a school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons, and a baby bank. They will provide essential support to the local community in supporting individuals and families, and we will be looking to support them any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money, support in the form of volunteers. We will also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work they do, but also to ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are aware of the vital services. You can follow them on the West Dunbartonshire, that's with an N-D-U-N, Dunbartonshire Community Food Share Group on Facebook or on westdunbartonshirecommunityfoodshare.co.uk for the website. As we always say as well, keep an eye on our Twitter accounts at shoottb underscore podcast and at Scott's Footy Cards for updates and news on our charity partner. So one of the things we, we do, Tony, for the podcast is we have a, an associated website as well. So each podcast has a web page and it will have all the, the items that we've talked about, photographs of the articles. It will, it will include links to videos and other articles as well. So essentially, when somebody listens to the show, they can follow along in the same way that we are doing at the minute. So it gives a lot more context for them. So what we'll do is we'll, we also put donate buttons on there for people to donate to the, the charity partner as well. So that will all be on there. And for each pound that people donate, it essentially gets them a, a virtual raffle ticket. And at the end of the season, when we draw it for each show, we'll, they'll get a goodie bag. And within the goodie bag will be things like the original magazine that we spoke about. We'll throw in other things as well, and you know, from my collection, stickers, cards, other magazines as well. And anything else that we can get our hands on. So so that'll go into a goodie bag and whoever wins that from the, the raffle tickets will get that as well. And 100% will go to the charity partner. So that's the West Dumbartonshire Community Food Share Group. As we say, please follow along, support them, check them out, donate to them if you can, um, and just keep an eye on them throughout, throughout the coming months because the, the work that they do is more essential than ever at the moment. So with that, I'll hand, hand you back to Tom. So let's get back into the magazine. Santa's Soccer Spectacular. Anybody get anything they want to say about, about these two pages? Other, other than the, the turntable with the speakers, it's it's a bit, you know, old and retro. And I, I don't even think it's sort of retro that people would buy it now thinking it's a bit sort of cool retro. It's it's not cool retro. But other than that, not really. Yeah. The only thing that I picked up as well, and it's kind of what we, we talked about at the start of the podcast, is that we said that Glenn Hoddle would have had a fake beard on the front to be like, oh, who's yeah. Santa? And we went, oh, they're not going to do that. But they've done it halfway into the magazine mm-hmm. and went, oh, here's three players dressed as Santa now. Who, who is it? And just because they've got the beards on, and, I, and I'm trying to, to get them, and I'm not 100% convinced, to be honest. Is it Owen Gary Owen, the first one? Okay. Yeah. It's Gary Owen, I think, yeah. And Greg Ricks. 
Arthur Graham. As well. yeah. So yeah, the, the thing is this this whole double page here, apart from the the crossword, this whole double page here screams to me the sort of thing that I say about in nineteen eighty three isn't even close to the the time period that I was suggesting that it gets a bit more sort of focused on youngsters in the magazine. So, you know, right from the beginning of the magazine through the 80s, late 80s, it was, for me, a magazine focused on older kids. You know, the articles were always quite quite informative and not easy reading for, for young kids. But this, and maybe because it's Christmas, there's lots of little teasers and things to do. And it's sort of, I mean, to be honest, I guess if you don't know those players, it's like yourself, it's difficult. But, you know, I, I think it's the sort of thing that the kids of the day probably would have got them pretty quickly because they would have seen those players on you know, a week-to-week basis. I think that, that's an interesting point, though, as well. Like, the idea that the magazine was for... And I was trying to work this out as well. Like, the magazine was clearly for older kids, as you say. But there's also a bit... And I'm, I'm sure we go back to, to Kenny Hibbert again, and I should have really mentioned it at the start when we were talking about him, but there's a bit where he goes on about that his best Christmas tradition is, is bringing all the presents down for the kids on Christmas Eve. Mm. And I was like, going, well, <laughs> right, that's brilliant if you're 10 yeah. and you're reading this magazine or you're 11 or 12 or whatever. But if you're eight or like nine or like seven or whatever it is when you've still got a tiny, tiny bit of magic and you've not been told yeah. that... Santa's not real yet. And you're like, Kenny Hibbert brings the presents down. Like, what? Daddy, daddy. Dad, I've got got a few questions now. Like, what's, why is, why does Santa make Kenny Hibbert bring everything downstairs? Like, (laughs) and and then his dad's got to try and explain it. Oh, yeah, well, you know, Santa leaves him in like Kenny Hibbert's. Yeah. Yeah, For for, for me, it was, it was never, certainly when, when I was getting it, it was never for young kids. That's what Tiger was for. That's what Roy the Rovers was for. That's what, maybe, maybe Scoop, to a certain degree as well was was younger kids, but this and match and shoot certainly weren't. That wasn't the focus of what the articles were or the content. Yeah, nothing's really dumbed down for, for no, kids. No, no, it's the, yeah. the aficionados magazine, isn't it? So over the page we've got the uh, world of soccer. Just as you look at the league tables: Belgium, Italy, France, Spain, Holland, West Germany. There's nothing really sort of surprising. I mean, Italy, you get AC Milan and Inter Milan in the middle. The table, Juventus at the top, Real Madrid and Barcelona, the top two teams in Spain, France, Bordeaux and Monaco, top two teams, Bayern Munich, top in the West mm. German League, Feyenoord, top in the Dutch League. But Paris Saint-Germain would have been just about formed as well, wouldn't they, around about at that time? They'd have been very Yeah, I think it was 72 or something, early 70s. Mm. Yeah. Yes, it's fourth. I don't know if you're going to pick up on this, Tom, but the, the advert in the bottom left-hand corner. Yes, there was, yep. I'll let, I'll let you go with that. So the advert in the bottom left-hand corner is uh, career records, complete records of all goal scorers in Division 1 since the war, club by club. Compare the goal scoring of Kenny Douglas with Roger Hunt, Frank Stapleton with David Heard, etc. Just send the name of your club, Division 1 or X Division 1, plus £1, postal order or cheque, for a full list of post-war career records to Peak Gear Limited in Derby, Derbyshire, Glossop and Derbyshire. One, one pound's a lot of money just for the the list, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it must be quite a big list that they have to print out, but one pound... It, it is a lot of money, because I'm sure at the start of the magazine that a back issue is 55p, so... Mm. so you know, is, is, the, is, the, is a wartime record 
better, twice as good as an, as an old magazine? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Well, this this comes back to an, another thing that we spoke about a couple of times recently, where there was another advert where somebody was offering their their services as a a researcher. So they they would go through presumably all micro film stuff in libraries. So essentially, the the, the offer was contact me, tell me what the information you want. I will be able to find anything for you, and basically you'll pay me for it, and I'll go away and do it. Nowadays, you would just Google, and then pretty much you'll get everything you want. So this is sort of along the ideas of that. I think th- th- there wasn't a lot of stuff in the... We were talking about the stuff in the magazines and the quality of it and the content. But one thing I did notice, or I certainly sort of noticed it more over the last few years is it's got more traction in the real world now, is stats. So there wasn't a lot of stats about things, and 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 that seems to be what this person or this company is offering. You know, in the magazines at this time, there wasn't a lot of things about goals scored and chances and how things, all that stuff. So I'm wondering if that's if there'd be just numbers or if there'd be graphs in it as well. It'd be very interesting to see what what was an offer. What, what I like on this page as well is the um, the festive frolic section. Um, Ipswich Town's Terry Butcher looks hurt, but goalkeeper Paul Cooper kisses it better. Isn't that isn't that lovely? Isn't that lovely? Yeah, he's kissing his shin, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. We selection of that. We selection of pictures there. Right again is yeah. another kind of page filler. Howard Gale of Birmingham and Villas Peter with wishing each other a merry Christmas. Peter with his trademark mm. sweatbands. Yeah, right. Though it's it's a, it's a good thing to point out, Tom, about this. Right at the very start, when you mentioned if it is a case, it's ten pence more expensive than the previous year. And this is a Christmas yeah. bumper edition. Normally, it's a bumper edition. I don't think it is a bumper edition. You're right. There are some what appears to be page fillers. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll put my my cards on the table. I'll always prefer to shoot to match anyway. And even now you know, going through them the way I do, I still prefer shoot to match, and this sort of backs up why. Okay, well, we move over then on to the, the main event for Tony here. There we go. Spectacular Aston Villa team group season 83-84. Mm. Look at those, look at them. So we'll, we'll let you lead this one, uh, Tony, there. Oh, just like, again, so first thing that we're going to pick up on this one is, and we mentioned a bit earlier on about, about the iconic kits, and we said that the, the, the Man United, the red, the black shorts, we, we didn't question it all. We left that. The yellow and red of, of Watford, we thought, perfect. Aston Villa are claret shirts with blue sleeves, white shorts, and blue socks. And what we've got here <laughs> is in 83, we'd already we'd won the European Cup in in 82, so we figured we can do whatever we want, right? We can just reinvent the wheel. It's fine, right? We go with full claret shirt with a kind of blue panelling under the armpit and down the side. Lovely sort of two-tone claret stripe as well. So it's not even like just a, a block colour. We've gone with a shiny stripe, a deep-set V and a round collar. So again, with two collars, claret shorts, which I presume are the same as the, as the shirt. So again, they'll have a shiny stripe through the middle, and then blue socks. So the kit's weird. Right? So I'm already going, the kit's weird. I remember the kit. It's, it's, a, it's I think I'm sure it's a Lecoq Sportif one. And we, I, I can't remember if this is the year or the, the next year we had Davenport's yeah, yeah. along the front of it. 
So, yeah, not not one of my favourite Villa kits, but it, it seems quite similar to the one that we had when um, what's yeah. that, that Luke Roper, he did our kits a couple of years ago. He's a, a Villa fan, and, and I think that's this is the kit that it was modelled on. So, again, so not one for, for, for your history buffs, but fine, uh, we'll take it. First thing your eyes are drawn to straight away is is uh, is the big man Nigel Spink, even the night from nineteen eighty three. Like he's just for me. So I I grew up as I say in the northeast, fifty fifty Sunderland Newcastle. My family setup was was Sunderland, so I'm more Sunderland if it comes to 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 questions. And I picked Villa in about eighty seven ish. So they were just getting promoted back up into the old Division One, and obviously Spinksy had been there forever. But at this point, like I think he just broken through and, and he'd been there for maybe a year or two. Just he just never aged. Never aged. Just looks like just that chiseled jaw. And he's Mr. Aston Villa from, from back then, you know. Perfect man in, in, in the sticks. So very, very happy there. Uh Tony Morley up on the uh, up on the back. Now, this is what I liked about these as well. Tony Morley, now West Brom. So they'd taken the picture at the start of the season. We've got round to December before you get your poster, uh, which you've got to take out. And I'm guessing this has um, had staples down the middle. So you'd have had to have gone one side and one side and then sellotaped it to keep it nice so it goes on your wall lovely. So he's obviously already left, which is a bit of a shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, one of, the, one of the legends of the time. Um, Paul Rideout. That's Paul Rideout who went to Everton, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark yeah. Walters, what do we need to say? What do we need yeah. to say? Like, there's some right players in here, isn't there? Andy yeah. Blair, Alan Evans, we've we've already said we know what he does for Christmas. Um, <laughs> Alan Kirbishley is there as well. And again, he's not really aged either. <laughs> like, just He's got a lovely tan, as old Alan Kirbishley there. Uh, then we come back down into the middle, so physio, physio's in the photographs. Like, nowadays, it would be like your data analysis, analysis Mm-hmm. Your, uh, your your chief scout, your nutritionist, your uh, your sports psychologist. You'd have an extra photograph for all your backroom staff these days. So he's there with with Ray Walker, who uh, again I think I don't know a great deal about Ray Walker, but I do believe he's quite a, an integral part of of the uh, of the Villa setup with a lot of hair, a lot of hair, and he looks quite angry about the fact he's got a lot of hair, like as if he's as if he doesn't have it and he's got to wear it and it's weighing him down a little bit. Oh, not as angry as Mark Jones next to him, though. Yeah, <laughs> but have you noticed as well? And there's a, and again, it's it's a slight unfortunate way that his shirt's folded, that it looks like he's either like sort of having to squeeze his stomach in, or the shirt doesn't quite fit and it's riding up. Yeah. So he's little; they've given him a really small shirt. <laughs> um, so he looks angry. Then, of course, we've got Spinksy. Then Colin Gibson. I'll be honest; I, name doesn't ring a bell. Sadly, Gary Williams. Again, lovely, lovely, wonderful hair. And then, of course, again, just you Mr. Aston Villa. I know we said it's Spinksy, but Gordon Cowan's. Oh, look at lovely Gordon Cowan's. Like he mm. doesn't he doesn't even have to look at the camera. He's looking away at something else. Like that's the vision of Gordon Cowan's. He sees what nobody else does. Right? They say, look forward, Gordon. He's like, I'm gonna look over here, because I know what's going on. It, it does have the it does have the sort of air of a B star and you know a, a Hollywood B star, yeah. Like he would be in Manimal or something like that. No one can't remember his name, but that, that's the sort of look that he's got. 
Yeah, because had he had he just come back from Italy at this point, or is this before he'd gone? I think this is before he'd gone, isn't it? So yeah, uh, Bari was it Bari? Bari, yeah, yeah, he'd gone out there, hadn't he? And then he, he then he came back. Yeah. So, so I can't remember if this is sort of, as I said, I can't remember if it's before he's gone or or after he's come back. Um, but yeah, again, I would have thought he was taller. Yeah, uh, there's something I've noticed there, and I. I he looks as smallest in that row, apart from mm. the the physio. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, I had no idea. I'd, listen, I had no idea Nigel Spinks would that big. I mean, he's tall and wide. Mm. But he, he's absolutely. But he looks an absolute monster, doesn't he? Like mm-hmm. compared to everybody else. As I say, I, I didn't think that Cowens was was short, but in that in that row, they've just picked all the little lads, haven't they? Just went right. You lot are little. Stand next to Spinksy, right? Yeah. They look massive compared to everybody. So, all right, fair enough. Uh, and then we've got Roy McLaren, the assistant manager. Um, then where we're going to go? Front row, Kevin McNaught. Again, he looks he, he looks massive. He looks massive. <laughs> yeah. Like he looks bigger than Spinksy. And they went right. You're going to have to sit down, like at the front row, and we have to hope that people in the back row can see over the top of you. So, so in the in the European Cup final eighty two was it? Mm-hmm. Okay, Spinks came on as a sub. So you had Spinks, Evans, and McNaught with the the front, you know, the back three, and that must have been absolutely formidable to see that. Oh yeah. I mean, Alan um, Alan Evans at the back there as well. He he's really really tall. Yeah. Ken McNaught just looks like an absolute unit. Yeah, like the average average height of our defenders was eight foot two <laughs> back in then. So, yeah, you're right, just I'd like just formidable. So again, terrifying. And again, off to West Brom, Tory Morley and Kevin McNaught, two two uh, two European champions. Just ah, we'll go West Brom. That'll do. Just go around the corner. <laughs> Fine, whatever. Can't stop us. We're massive. So they've left. Uh, Des Bremner again. He's he looks he looks a little bit like and what's he called? It looks a little bit like um, like Finchy from The Office. I forget what his name is, the actual real-life human being of him, but he probably thought he had more space to sit on that seat. Okay. Going, oh, I'm going to get myself all lovely, get me thighs out of that, put my arms on my knees, and I'm going to really sort of showcase myself. And then Ken McNaught comes, right, budge up, mate, squeezes him in, and he's just having to sit like a little small school child, scrunched up against... I don't, I don't think Steve McMahon's helping with that elbow. No, he's not. He's, he's, that, that seems to be in an unnatural position towards death. Yeah. So I, I think yeah. that he's doing that deliberately. Yeah, yeah, Steve McMahon's like, he's got that... Steve McMahon's got his arm out. Like, you know when you're in the car and you've got that little <laughs> bit in the middle and the, the armrest comes down. He's like, that's mine, mate. I'm having that. Like, I, I always sit like this. Yeah. So he's having that. And then... Of course, you know, the the, the gaffers have a none of it. He's like, oh, sort it out yourselves, lads. Like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, and then Gary Shaw, again, another absolute legend with, again, just immaculate, like the shiniest blonde hair. Yeah, he really looks like a pop star there, like a Kajigugu. Kind of. Yeah, like next to a Bond villain. <laughs> old uh, old Peter Wynn there, dressed as a Bond villain. You know? I'm disappointed he's not got the sweatbands on, though. Yeah, I know he looks furious. I think that someone's taken them off him before the photographs take because he looks furious sat there. Just like Peter, we're going to take the photograph. Oh, this is not. This is not how I'm expecting to spend my day today. And then again, next to to Dennis Mortimer, so the man who was part of the build up of the greatest goal in Villa's history. So, I mean, 
you look back at that, you think that's yeah. that's all right, isn't it? It's a, it's a great team, yeah, because we say there's several players who won the European Cup and then it's mm. augmented the guys like Paul Ryder and Steve McMahon. Matt Walters, yeah. Matt Walters, yeah. All these guys just sort of just dipped in after it and you're like, okay, so they weren't they weren't good enough for for us, were they not? Or they didn't fit and then they moved on and then you sort of go, oh, wow, we had some great players back in the day Mm -hmm. that just moved around and and went and like, I'm sure we had, um, who was that? I was was looking at the, yeah, we had Martin, I keep forgetting we had Martin Keown. Yeah, yeah. For a little bit and it's like, didn't register for a little while. Mm -hmm. Martin Keown played Villa. Oh yeah, so he did. Yeah. (laughs) So something that something that fascinates me. Whenever I think about the the European Cup final, it always fascinates me that there was five named in the subs bench, but only one sub used for Aston Villa, and that was Spink. And mm. I mean, you could use two subs. Bayern Munich could use the two subs, but you, you just think that would be unheard of nowadays that a manager wouldn't use his subs. Well, if I remember correctly, I'm sure that we we won the league using only fourteen players. Yes, yeah. Like the entire league, we played the whole league season with just fourteen players, yeah. and that was a, that was a forty-two game season, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's unheard of. Like, yeah. you couldn't even get teams getting out of the first three games of the season yeah. now using yeah. players. Yeah. Did you watch uh, the recent ITV series European Cup winners? Oh, I didn't actually. No, I might need to go back in there and have a little. So on the ITV hub, mm. you should you should see it. it's great. Um, well, the first episode's about Liverpool and it covers their four European Cup wins. Second episode's about Forest, it covers their two European Cup wins. And the third episode is it's Aston Villa, but they've crowbarred Celtic, Man United in. So the first five minutes is about Celtic, and then the next 20 minutes is about Man United, and the last sort of half hour is Aston Villa's European Cup win. And it's, it's great, it speaks to a few of the guys. But Tony Morley stands out because it was a couple of games where he scored like away from home, Dynamo Kiev, and uh, he talks about it. The show after he scores and he's giving it to the bench, get it up, yeah. Uh, and they said, I, it was Ron Saunders, I think, was the man at the time, and he'd been giving him a bit of, Morley, what are you doing, kind of thing. And of course, he goes off, dribbles in, bangs the ball in the net, he's like, get it up, you, get it up, you. Yeah. He says that in the interview, he's like, I was, I, I was to the bench, I was going like, oh, get it, I thought that was great. Obviously, a wee bit of man management, I guess, for uh, Ron Saunders to get the best out. But uh, you should definitely have a look for it in the, in the ITV hub, it's a, it's a great wee half hour that shows you um, travelling and going to Russia and stuff like that. You know, it's a great wee insight. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah, it's good. And it also speaks to guys like Morley and Cat. And against those guys, Morley and Cat, they're all balls now. So they're sort of, you can't quite really pick out which one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i tell you what else was, was weird as well. Like, you know, we were saying about sort of, like sort of uh, influencers and stuff and heroes and all that sort of thing. And like one of the most bizarre interactions I've had I should, I should have thought about this actually most bizarre interactions I've, I've ever had and uh, Peter With follows me on Twitter like that's mm. just like this kid in a sweet shop thing isn't it you're like you click thing going what there's no way he knows who I am or like <laughs> I, I had Sean Teal followed me once and I was like that's brilliant right? <laughs> I thought that's amazing and then Peter With rocks up and I'm like oh I'll have that I'll have that thank you very much like yeah well happy I just want to mention, so you've got a team folk, but there's also a couple of black and white insets as well. And Brendan yeah. Ormsby is one of them. And mm-hmm. as you may or may not know, Brendan suffered a stroke uh, over the last few years. And, and I think he was pretty poorly. But just on the our theme, Tom, did you know that Brendan Ormsby became a postman after finishing playing football? So there's yet another 
ex-footballer who went into the post business. So, but we've, we've um, Dave, Dave Stewart and Dave Harvey, Dave Harvey, and who was the other one? Um, the other keeper, Peter Benetti. Benetti. Both, both after they finished their careers, both of them went to Scotland and became postmen. So, so what you need to do now is where you've got your birthday, where you've got your birthday eleven. You need to try and get a postal eleven. <laughs> that's take on the birthday, take on the birthday squad. Yeah, that's a good shout. Note that down. Mm. We move, we move on yeah. then. So the next page we're up in Scotland now. Robert Watts, Scottish scene, and we've got a picture here of Danny McGreen with a captain's armbands on there, guarding the guarding the post, and that's against Nottingham Forest. You can see there. Uh, the forest strip there in the background there with that Wrangler sponsor. Uh, so Celtic skipper Danny McGreen has leapt to the support of his manager David Hay following the Parkhead Chief's self-imposed I'll quit ultimatum. Manager Hay dropped a Christmas bombshell when he declared, if we don't win at least one trophy, I must shoulder much of the blame and we'll seriously have to think about moving on. He's really, really nailing it there. I will seriously have to think about moving on. So, spoiler, Celtic finished runner-up that season in the league, the Scottish Cup, the Scottish League Cup and the Glasgow Cup and David Hay did not move on. Uh, he, he stayed for about another another five years. So, and then further down, at Ali's Ibrook's wish, Ali McCoyst has won wish for Christmas to stay with Rangers. In the wake of speculation that he's lined up for a return to Sunderland, the out-of-favour striker has made an anxious plea to Rangers manager, Joe Wallace, I want to stay at Ibrooks, he declares. I know I have yet to produce my best form for the club, but I am confident that given the time, I will produce the goods. And the Ibrooks boss admits that Sunderland approached him about the player, but it's understood that their bid of £40,000 was below Rangers valuation. That seems very low to me at, at, mm. at that time. I couldn't say what he... I think he left St Johnston for Sunderland for about 100000 um, and I don't know what Rangers paid yeah. for him, but that's 40000 seems pretty low. Uh, but anyway, of mm. course, Alan McCoy did stay at Rangers and uh, he did turn things around. Struggling Saints and Johnson are struggling just as badly off the pitch as they are on it and have announced that they've lost £158,000 despite winning the First Division Championship. If not for donations from charitable fans and local businesses, that figure would have been nearer £200,000. Incredible numbers are top, isn't it, for back then? But even then, though, again, like not too dissimilar to what's still happening in the league. Like even like 30, 40 years ago, you still like clubs losing so much money. It's crazy, isn't it? Mm. It's a, co- I guess, it's a constant fight in those mm. sort of levels, anyway. Yeah. yeah. And that we add it in the bottom there. So obviously, this was before a football manager took hold. And this was the kind of thing that was going on. Football international, world-class football. Football as real as simulation can be. With world-class football, you can manage these great clubs and many more of Britain's finest teams against one another in Football International's amazing simulation game and discover the answer for yourself. Uh, world-class football depicts all the important aspects of league football and again, giving complete control of strategy and tactics to you, the manager of your favourite football team. So this is, I think this is as a postal game, the exciting game of strategy for two players who act as opposing managers and is played in just 90 minutes. Did you look into this any further, Tom? Cause I, I didn't really know. Because right, I'm, I'm going to try and share something else. Because I, I find the, the, so, have you played so, this? So, so I, 
Yeah, I fell into this trap when I was a youngster. <laughs> um, yeah, so there was that one. And I think there was another one as well that they had at the back of the magazines, um, at the play-by-mail. What I've trying to explain it to sort of people obviously who've, who've never come across it is really odd to think that you would so you you wouldn't be able to pick which so the one that I played and I don't know if it's the same one as this one but the one I played was you couldn't pick your team like you had to put a couple of sort of recommendations in so you say like oh I want to be like Villa or or Celtic or Sunderland or whatever and then they'd write back to you and say okay you're Dumbarton you're like all right fair enough Dumbarton and then you get your team sheet printed out on like old dot matrix paper and that was your squad list and it was always like, no matter when you joined it was always midway through the season like there's no way anyone ever played like more than five games before going this is a scam and just stopped playing so you always end up picking up someone else's team so you'd have like the Dumbarton team then with John Fashionu up front because someone's managed to sign John Fashionu somehow but to do the transfers you'd have to ring someone's house because you couldn't like obviously you couldn't text people or send them emails or, or or whatever. So you'd have to you'd have to phone. So you'd have your your phone number would be in this little. They mentioned the little brochures here, like your phone number would be there as manager. So I say Tony Jameson, then it'd be my mum's house number in there, and then some bloke called Kenny would ring me, and my mum would be like, "Oh, there's a bloke called Kenny on the phone for you." Oh, right, fine, and I'll run down and he's you know, some fella in South End or whatever, um, and we're haggling over whether Andy Townsend's going to get sold. And so we, we agree a deal somehow, and then I've got to fill it in on a piece of paper, send it back. He's got to fill it in on a piece of paper, send it back. And then you sellotape some money to the paper and put it in the envelope, and then you send it off. And then a week later, it comes back and you go, oh, yeah, so Andy Townsend's gone through. That's fine. And you've lost 6-0 to St Mirren. You go, all right, fine. What do I do next? Well, you just do it again. Oh, okay, fair enough. And as I say, after about three weeks, you go, that's rubbish. <laughs> not doing this anymore. So, so I found out the rules and some documentation on it and stuff on a, a gamer's website. And I, I couldn't make head nor tail. It says, basic game sequence. Take an action card corresponding to the zone of the pitch the ball is in. This indicates which players are eligible to receive a pass. Choose the receiver. Roll three dice and refer to the table on the passer's card. Move the ball to the intended receiver if successful and optionally move the acetate forward to indicate players moving up the field or the nearest defender if the pass failed. Number five, repeat. <laughs> it's just like... I remember this, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, we've got a basic version of how to play. There's Each player has a card which has shooting, dribbling and passing stats on it that I think... Mm -hmm. So there's a, a blue dice or a different coloured dice and two white dice. And the blue dice determines which action goes on and then the, the result of the white dice is then blah, blah, blah. So, I, you know, I think... It's not something you would sit down and start playing in an evening, I don't think. I think there would be a lot of reading, trial and error, and probably tears and pain and arguments along the way, try to work out the result, the, the rules. This version sounds very much like football Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does, it does. You, fan you fancy a game one night, Tom? <laughs> one night? <laughs> <laughs> one long night. Yeah, but we're going to get a second lockdown. Come on, we've got to be <laughs> yeah. 
It says the game is played in real time with 45 minutes per half. The game came with a, God. The game came with a selection of 1982-83 English or Scottish teams and more were available for separate separate purchase. Uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, they just I, I spoke to I, I spoke to you earlier on, Tom, about my my gaming history. That I'm more of a watcher because I, I can't I can't be bothered with games that have a lot of setup or a lot of you know you have to learn things over time. Even even FIFA, it's like knowing how to do little passes and stuff and do little flicks. It's like I can't be bothered with that. So this sounds like something that I would probably go. No, somebody, somebody else go away, learn the rules, and then come back, and then I might play for five minutes. Did you ever put a, a game of football manager on for, in real time as a cup final? Played it forty-five minutes, actually forty-five uh, minutes each week. Yeah, I've done it. I did it once, um, and I, it's it's not as much <laughs> <It's> fun. Not. <laughs> <laughs> like, at the time, it seemed like a really great idea. You're like, oh, this would be brilliant. Then you're like, that's oh, not great at all. Actually, this is. I could, I could have had this done in like eight minutes. So, so, so this, this, this is in this world class football simulator thing is Seaboard Street in Glasgow. What's G forty one? Where's G forty one? That's South Side. Yeah. Don't know where. But yeah. All right, so we'll get match facts next to the cutout and keep results guide. So just picking out a couple of results. The one thing I noticed uh, here was that there's actually matches scheduled for every day of the week. Sunday, we've got Sunday, December 11th, we've got Crystal Palace and Carlisle. Carlisle beating Crystal Palace in Division 2, as well as the World Club Championship between Gremio of Brazil and Hamburg. Monday, the two games scheduled for Monday are postponed. Uh, FA Cup secondary replay, uh, Altrincham and Darlington. Division 3 is Port Vale Southend. Then on Tuesday, December 13th, Northern Ireland beat Scotland 2-0. I thought that was kind of interesting as well, because that's the British Championship, which is normally played in the spring. But this was the start of that 83-84 British Championship, and this was the first game played in December, and Scotland's next game was played in February, and then the rest of it was all played in April and May. And that was the last of the home home internationals. And Ireland, despite the fact that they won it, uh, for only the third time out of 87, got to keep the trophy for good because they won the last one. So uh, that was a Tuesday night. Uh, Grimsby are at home as well, beating uh, Oldham. And then some FA Cup second round games. Windsor and Eton uh, drew 0-0 with Bournemouth. I thought that was... Uh, never heard of Windsor and Eton's football team. It's interesting as well. That's got that's got an attendance of like 3,500. Yeah. That's back when Bournemouth would have been like properly low down as well, yeah. wouldn't they? I mean, it always helps when you've got two teams playing against one. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Like, so there's only a thousand fans <laughs> each, isn't it, really? So, yeah, Blackpool beating uh, Bang out there on the Wednesday. Uh, Wales uh, against Yugoslavia in a European Championship match, a one-all draw. And uh, the Smithy Cup second round replays there. But then it's interesting because there's a game on Thursday night uh, as well where Charlton beat Leeds 2-0 on a, on a Thursday night. And then on the Friday night, you've got what I discovered was Match of the Day's first ever live broadcast when Manchester United beat Tottenham 4-2 in front of 33,616. Mm-hmm. And also the same night, it was a Division 4 game. Stockport played Tranmere. So I thought that was interesting, a match every day of the week. Yeah, because Tranmere used to always play on the Fridays, didn't they, to avoid the, the, the Everton. Liverpool, yeah. Everton and... 
and the recent Easter, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. and crackers. So it was always like sort of Friday nights was was tramway nights, and even even thinking about that to the Thursday games. Going, I remember Thursday games. I'm so I'm sort of guessing that that was maybe Charlton being a London club, maybe opted mm. to play to avoid clashing with I don't know Chelsea or West Ham or something. But yeah, no, so that's a funny one. Obviously, the Man U Tottenham game was was uh, for live coverage, and apparently BBC started the live coverage of matches on a Friday night and then the following year moved it to, moved it to Sundays. Uh, but uh, there's YouTube highlights of that, uh, that game, Man United 4, Tottenham, Tottenham 2. What was the attendance? 33,600? Still a good, good... Not a bad attendance. Yeah. Not bad for a Friday, isn't it? So, uh, moving on, uh, just to skip through a few of the, a few of the games. Uh, Saturday, 17th of December, Raphael Mead scores a hat-trick for Arsenal, or his match described them, troubled Arsenal. <laughs> uh, he's a beat Watford 3-1, I think that's Morris Johnson scoring Watford's goal. If it is, it's misspelled, isn't it? I'm guessing that's Morris Johnson, that was his, his time. Aston Villa, a 4-0 win for Villa, beating the Ipswich. Great result. Paul Marner scoring an own goal, interesting, since he was a centre-forward, it's interesting how he scored an own goal. After three minutes, uh, Paul Ride out, Steve McMahon and Alan Evans with a penalty. So moving on page 26, so you've got the league tables. Liverpool top of Division 1. Leicester, Stoke and Wolves at the bottom. Division 2, Sheffield Wednesday at the top. With Chelsea and Newcastle second and third. Division 3, you've got Oxford at the top. Division 4, York leading and Hartlepool propping up the league. And then in Scotland, Aberdeen at the top of the Premier. Motherwell at the bottom. First division, Partick Thistle at the top with Alloa at the bottom. And the second division is Fortford leading with Albion Rovers uh, at the bottom in the league. And then I'm just having a couple of, look, uh, a couple of wee things in Data Desk. And so, so you were talking about, uh, earlier on, Andy, about a lack of stats. So I think that's the only stats we've got here. Yeah. Biggest crowds. And so this is for the season so far. Biggest crowd, 56,121, Man U v Liverpool. Smallest crowd, 975, Chester v Eldershot. Highest aggregate scores, 10 goals, Wimbledon 6, Southend 4 in the Milk Cup. And West Ham 10, Bury 0, also in the Milk Cup. Fastest goal, Simon Stainroad of QPR, 13 seconds against Crew, again in the Milk Cup. Fastest hat-trick from kick-off, Modest Johnson of Watford. I've found, yeah, I found that interesting how they were. Because normally the fastest hat-trick is from the start to finish, isn't it? Mm. That whereas they're saying it's from kickoff, so mm. I, I, that's just a, a strange way. Uh, of doing most hat tricks three from Keith Edwards of Sheffield United, uh, and then having a wee look at the leading scorers there, in the Division One Ian Rush out in front with seventeen, and Simon Stainrod the QPR on thirteen, and then we've got Woodcock Arsenal Archibald Spurs Swindlehurst at West Ham and Christian Oates County. Uh, Division Two is interesting. They're all they're all names in Division Two. Kerry Dixon at Chelsea with 18. Then the former Rangers striker Derek Parlane at Man City with 14. Kevin Keegan at Newcastle on 14. Blackburn legend Simon Garner on 14. And then Mark Hately of Portsmouth on 13. Scottish Premier, you've got uh, Willie Irvin of Hibs on 18. David Dodds at Dundee United on 14. John Robertson, who was always going to be there or thereabouts on 12. Ali McCoist, uh, who was talking earlier on about how he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't doing it for Rangers. Uh, he's got 11 goals so far that season. And then McCall at Dundee on 11 as well. Yeah. Anything else that you've spotted? 
Yep. Is it Queen's Park 5, he's still in 4. I think that's possibly Lex Grant scoring two goals for, for Queen's Park. Nice one, Lex. Nice one. Sorry, I was just going to say a couple of... Well, one other high-scoring goal game there, Sterling Albion 4, uh, Cowden Beath 1. Yeah, nothing nothing else. Again, I think it's an interesting thing on this one is that down the side, cut out and keep. So again, encouraging you to sort of collect your stats throughout the season. Mm. Yeah. Because of course, obviously nowadays, we can just, we've got it at the touch of our fingers. Whereas back then, all right, what was the score three weeks ago? Oh, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go and have a quick check and, and do that. So yeah, I think that's quite interesting that they're encouraging you to collect stats. Because as you say, not many stats throughout the magazine. The second that someone's gone to the trouble of, of <laughs> producing the stats, going, you might want to keep this because it might come in handy later on. Almost if they know there's an end of season pub quiz coming. So at the opposite page there, we were talking about this before. Hawthorne's hero, Albion fans take to Tony. And it's about Tony Morley moving to West Brom. Tony moved across the Midlands for just £70,000 and a small fee raised more than a few eyebrows. Tony admits, I was surprised because some third division players change hands for larger amounts. But football is in a terrible state financially and Villa obviously felt that was the best deal they were going to get at the time. Yeah, it's 70,000, 70, was it? Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Just that's looking at... Too much. It's Ali McCoist, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's two, two knockback bids for Ali McCoist. So I just had a wee look at Tony Molly's career, born in Ormskirk, and then he started out with a club just up the road, Preston North End, who were in Division 2, but they get relegated to Division 3 before he became a regular. And 84 league games, 15 goals later, he was off to Burnley, who were in Division 1 at that time. Uh, 1976 and they would get relegated and uh, Morley played 87 games in Division 2 before his summer 1979 move to Villa where as we said before he really became a legend there helping them with the title uh, in 1981 where he played all 42 league games that season and then the European Cup uh, next season uh, he'd only a year at West Brom before he moved to Birmingham City uh, and then he was off on his travels after that to Seiko in Japan then Den Haag in uh, Holland and then back to West Brom, and then uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies, and then into the non-leagues with Hamlin Spartans, Sutton Coalfield Town, and then finally Bromsgrove Rovers. And then we've got a wee bit in the corner there, Bob Wilson's goalkeeping school. Are you serious about goalkeeping? Do you want to improve? And it's a residential five-day course during Easter and summer at Middlesex Polytechnic. Were you ever interested, Tony, in going in one of those sort of residential football and schools you know what like I was but I never yeah I never really sort of got in got round to it to be honest so they had the Bob Wilsons and then what was it I'm sure there was um, there was another one that I don't know if it was a Brian Robson soccer school as well but yeah like we looked at them but I mean for what they were for, for the value of, of what they were charging I think at the time of what we'd get back mm-hmm. out of it I think it wasn't really sort of I was never good enough to need to go to those things. I wasn't going to get anything out of it that, I, that just playing in the on the field with my mates wouldn't have achieved. So it was, um, yeah. And, I, and you know what? I don't actually know anybody who ever went. I'm sure, I think it might have been a myth that these things even happened. <laughs> well, there was a few. So there was uh, Bobby Moore. No, Bobby Moore. Uh, Bobby, Bobby Charlton one, which actually David Beckham went on one of those when he was a youngster. And he ended up winning a competition um, through it and went to Barcelona, actually. So he was at Barcelona for the day. Um, there was a PS, there's PSG, I think it was called, and there, there was a Curva 
uh, coaching as well. So the, I mean, we, we've been through quite a lot. So there was been a couple of editions where there's been two or three pages worth of just different advertisements, that sort of size, maybe bigger, maybe smaller. So, so there was absolutely loads of them. But just on your, your football ability there, Tony, so if you had been a professional footballer, what would your ideal career have been? Um, so, okay, so position-wise, I was I was a number 10. I wasn't big enough to play as the striker, but I was a bit, I like, I like the ball at my feet. I don't like sort of heading the ball. I'm, I'm a bit technical. I'm a bit fancy, flicky, through balls. And like, so, yeah, a bit of a bird camp was kind of what I was modelling myself on. You wouldn't run for any passes? It wasn't straight to you? Straight your feet. Or, or if it was like, for me to run on to, fine. But if it was overhit, then that's your fault, not mine. I would have liked to have started relatively local, so I wouldn't have minded starting off at Sunderland. Ideally, get to Villa at some point, play play there. Looking around, like again at the time, it would have been growing up. Italy would have been the uh, the sort of the option. So looking at going going abroad, like you know maybe Inter would have been quite good fun. Or yeah. Doria's got quite a British feel to it, so. That would have been nice playing in the midfield with Rude Hullett and David Platt. That would have been amazing, wouldn't it? Um, just give me the ball and I'll, I'll sort of... Like, you guys can do whatever you want and I'll just tap in the rebounds. I'm more than happy with that. And then, yeah, then probably come back to the UK. Um, quick stint up the road. I'd have been happy going up and playing in Scotland as well. Uh, a lot of family, Celtic fans, so I wouldn't have minded coming up the, up the road and playing there. And then after that, just sort of wild down. I probably wouldn't have wanted to wild down my career in the lower leagues. Not not because of not because of the of the like the, the lack of quality or like sort of going oh god you know I'm I'm dropping down. I just think that I wouldn't be able to do enough of a job, and I think I'd rather looking now. I'd rather be sort of well, I'd rather just go out than sort of be oh he, he used to be decent back in the day, and now he's like playing at Bromsgrove Rovers as you've got there for Tony Morley. Like I remember Tony Morley playing for Bromsgrove Rovers. Like I don't want to be a, I don't want to play for a pub team when I'm forty two. So, yeah, I'd probably, no, I, mean, I did my ACL anyway, so I'd probably have, I'd have finished at about 26. <laughs> so I'd have had a terrible career. <laughs> and at that point, of course, go into management. So He's got to go into management. I yeah. mean, surely. Playing football was just the preparation for the management. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, no one's going to no give a 23-year-old a manager's job. So might as well be a player for a little bit. And, yeah, I, d- I don't think I don't think I'd have played for the top teams, and I certainly don't think I'd have won a lot of trophies. And I wouldn't be in many players, even in my even in my ultimate fantasy. I'm still not in the the, the, the team's greatest eleven. I'm like, it was this Tony Jameson fella. Do you remember him? Yeah, <laughs> with the club for ten years, was he? Oh, okay. So we go over the over the page then, and it's uh, page twenty eight, and we've got pen pals. Did either of you notice anything in the in the, in the pen pals? Didn't notice anything. Um, Just apart from the fact that it was creepy as. Was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am a 16-year-old Celtic fan and I also like Juventus. I would like a good old pen pal about the same age who lives yeah. in Italy. He's sorting out his summer holiday, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. I, I am an eight-year-old. No, right, stop. <laughs> Just, well, there's, no there's somebody, the very last one. Um, I'd like a girl pen friend who lives in London, supports Spurs and is aged between 17 and 18. My other interests include music. Sean Sell, 17, 39 Church Road, Brownhill, Bartley. Guess where I live? Bartley. That's that's where I live. I wonder how far Church Road is from here. So that that is that is within my I'll go knock on his door. If you just hold on a wee minute, I'll go knock on his door and find out if he got his pen friend. 
That's incredible. But again, like just you say, very much of its time, isn't it? Because like, how else you wouldn't, you would never get away with that nowadays. But I, I, I had a, I had a pen. I had a pen friend. I had a pen friend when I was when I was at school. Sorry, um, and I think it was through school, and she was in Tasmania, Hobart. I think is in Tasmania, and I think one letter was sent, one came back, and then the next letter she sent with a photograph of her, and I just, I just freaked out, and it was like I'm not sending a photograph of me, and I just never spoke to her ever again. And I thought, yeah, weirdo. Yeah, but you wouldn't have any thought that this kind of thing would be abused. You would just think it's all genuine. It's all eight-year-olds, twelve-year-olds, and all that looking to. I mean, I mean, I mean, the Celtic fans quite upfront about his intentions. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but but, um, you, 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 I presume it's a, it's a guy here from from Greece, who's Man United are my favourite football team. Gordon McQueen is my favourite player. I would like to correspond with male or female pen pals between 15 and 17 who live in England. My favourite pop groups are Kajagoogoo, Duran Duran, Flock of Seagulls, Eurythmics and The Police. And he's, he's just getting out of everything, isn't he? Going, look, I want, I, I'm going to come over and marry one of you, is what I want to do. And That's Catherine Hula from Greece. Yeah, Catherine. Catherine. Oh, yeah, sorry, I've not got my glasses on, so I couldn't read. <laughs> 20, 20, she's 21 and she's looking for a 15 to 17-year-old to... Is that not an address? Aye, that could well be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes much more sense. That's that's a bit more, a lot more acceptable. So the collector's fair underneath that is mainly just football programs, hmm. mainly just loads of programs. We'll see. Again, Tony, did you ever try doing in, in that collecting football um, programs? Like, I've, I've got a mate who was really, really into it, and he got like some really sort of quite rare ones. Like, I'd probably only buy. Like I would, I would, I would buy a program if I went to the game, and it's even now is sort of something that I will still, still probably do most of the time. I wouldn't say I do it every single time I go, particularly if I go to like a, if I go to like a different team. So, a couple of years ago, I went to Sheffield FC, which is like one of the oldest football clubs in the world. So, I got a program there because I was like, well, why not? That's quite novel. That's not just going to, you know, a Premier League or, or even Championship level game. So something like that, like, or if I go to like non-league, I might do it because it's like. I know it's only a few quid, but it's probably better in their pockets than mm-hmm. than not. So, in terms of collecting stuff, probably not. Like, I'm not really much of a I'm not really much of a of a collector. But as I say, I've got mates who are like are really really big on it, and we've got a um, we've actually got a quite a big collector's store. Uh, well, I say we've got one before lockdown. There was quite a big collector's store in the Metro Centre in Newcastle uh, Gateshead. So. Hopefully it's still there, and I do like go and have a little look around, and it's just like some amazing things there, like shirts and programs and pin badges and like loads of bits and pieces. Like, like I like all that stuff, but I just I can't allow myself to get involved in it. Otherwise, I just spend too much, and I just yeah. So I kind of keep it like too far going. I appreciate it from a distance, but I can't get involved in it. Otherwise, it's game over. <laughs> So I'm just going to move on here. Uh, if we just skim past a few, there's a picture of Kevin Ratcliffe. There we go. Kevin Ratcliffe, Everton and Wales. And you've been admiring legs earlier on, eh, Tony, I think. Oh, look at them. Look at them. Roberto Carlos. They're Roberto Carlos level thighs and hamstrings there. It's quite a smart Wales kit, I was going to say. He's, he's wearing red shirt with white sleeves. That's a big, massive Adidas badge there. Mm. And uh, the red 
straight down the side of the shorts. This was the era where they were starting to play about with shorts and do things with shorts, put pinstripes in shorts and carry on the design from the shirt on the shorts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's quite a smart Welsh kit. As you know, you know me, I'm focusing on those boots, so they're Adidas boots, but they're, and you know how much I love red studs, and they've got red studs, but they've only got the front two studs as red, and the rest of them look as though they're probably aluminium ones, which is, yeah. my thinking behind that would be that they were all aluminium, and the yeah. two red ones will be nylon. So he's obviously mixed and matched them, I don't know why, uh, but... I'm I'm sure probably that they've looked at the surface and tried different things, but yeah, for me the perfect boots are the the Adidas World Cup '78 with red studs, and he's he's got he's got most of that going on there. Again, you're right. Like even just looking at the picture, I can spell Dubbin. <laughs> just yeah, you're right. He he looks after them as well. Yeah, and you're saying that as well. He, he certainly looks after them because if if you have used a dubbing on an Adidas pair of boots or any any boots with the black with the white bit, quite mm. often you get a bit lazy and the dubbing would go over the white bit and so they would end up but going a bit grey. But they look spot on. They look absolutely gleaming white. Yeah, whoever his boot lad is has done a cracking job on them, honey. Go back on your um, on your your cartoon. Whoever whoever the uh, the opposition is scouting out, he's doing Radcliffe's boots. <laughs> yeah, maybe they've, they've maybe they've modelled that number nine on on his um, legs there. Maybe that's yeah, what it was modelled on. For the next page we'll get uh, terrace talk page thirty two, uh, which is the letters page. Uh, there's not much there that's that uh, interesting. I don't think we better. I'm just going to pick out if I can, Tom. The there's a the Clive Thomas. Yeah, that was only bit I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll let you read through that one then. Yeah, there's a couple of letters there about Clive Thomas, who is retiring as a referee. Uh, but but uh, they're both talking about the previous week, uh, where Clive Thomas stopped celebrations after a, after a goal. And the caption there: Clive Thomas, no cuddles. Uh, how refreshingly novel to see a referee stopping players from embracing and leaping all over each other after scoring a goal. Clive Thomas deserves congratulations for the way he stamped on those celebrations during the West Ham v Manchester United televised game. And uh, the second letter is uh, long-serving referee Clive Thomas has always been controversial, but he seems to be figuring in the news almost every week now. He came under the spotlight when he tried to cut short the celebrations of Manchester United and West Ham players when each team had scored during that live televised game and followed up by sending off one player and booking another seven during West Brom's Milk Cup time with Aston Villa, which is by no means a dirty game. When Clive Thomas retires at the end of the season, I don't think he'll be a loss to football. Mick Weavers, who's editing Terrace Talk, says, and I'll be glad to see the back of him too, fans should leave a man's talking about the football, not the referee. Yeah, and, and, and the man, was it Jeremy Thompson from Preston who wrote in basically saying, Supporting them for for trying to stop people, and let's face it, men from celebrating together just I think shows him up for you know what his thoughts are. So yeah, the the idea that he's writing in going, I oh, think you know I'm really really happy that referee doesn't allow any joy on the football pitch. I want I want I want soulless. I want people just turn up, do their job, score a goal, nod, shake each other by the hand, and go and continue the match. None of this. Emotion, thank you very much. I don't pay my money for emotions. 
And yeah. To be fair, I think I think you've described Clive Thomas pretty accurately there. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so we'll move on and, and uh, wrap up the last few pages of the magazine here. So pages 38 and 39 are the road to Mexico. As we touched on this early, earlier on when uh, Graham Souness was talking about how easy England had it. Uh, so have a wee look at the groups. Road to Mexico, Group 3, England, Northern Ireland, Romania, Turkey and Finland. Group 6, Republic Ireland, Soviet Union, Denmark, Switzerland and Norway. And Group 7, Scotland, Wales, Spain and Iceland. And uh, they speak to a few people. No Scott there, because I guess Graham Souness, I say, earlier on. But they speak to Ray Wilkins uh, about England's chances and uh, Tony Grealish about the Irish chances. So, yeah, Andy, I think you were saying before how England's always seem to get an easy, an easy group with Scotland. They've always got the, always got the tough one. I, I think you'll find that was uh, Graham Souness that said that, not me. But I do agree with it. <laughs> we had a group where only one team went through. Everybody else was in a group or two qualified automatically. But, of course, Scotland did manage to get there drawing with Wales in that last mm-hmm. game and beating Australia in a playoff. Can I just jump back a couple of pages to page? There was something I just want, which um, it was in, it's a fact, which I found quite interesting. I don't think I knew this. And it was interestingly, Dennis Law made his Football League debut, debut for Huddersfield on Christmas Eve in 1956 as a 16-year-old. I just thought that was a nice little piece of information to make you, you know, Merry Christmas. Yeah, so John McClelland in Northern Ireland was complaining that uh, the Northern Irish players know that if they flop, it could spell financial disaster for the Northern Irish Football Association. We've got to do well to keep the country alive. The Irish are still reeling from Scotland and England, shot withdrawal from the British Championships. Again, we were saying earlier on about how clubs were up against it. Uh, and here again, uh, John McClelland saying that the Northern Irish FAs up against it because uh, the British Championships were their sort of main breadwinner for, for a long time they were either they were getting a, a home game against England or Scotland every year and uh, England always I remember Jock Steen saying that England always had sort of one eye on ditching these games and been able to play friendlies against Brazil and Argentina and that was kind of what happened when they created the Rouse Cup and it started being Scotland and England and they would bring in a mm. South American team uh, every year instead of playing a home international but uh, I like the home internationals and uh, there's been a wee kind of slight resurgence of those kind of games in recent years but I'd love to see it come back but then again, then again that it really was that reason that teams are wanting to cut their own friendlies with, with, with bigger names so we go to the last page then so the back page is Colin Hill of Arsenal and it's his star spots and just a couple of wee things I've picked out there so nickname at the club and why and his nickname is Hilly for obvious reasons favourite reading is uh, Jeffrey Archer novels. Uh, player for the future. Uh, it turns out he's got quite a good eye here. So he says Arsenal's young centre-half, Tony Adams. And he talks about being in the last couple of Northern Ireland squads, but uh, he didn't actually make his... And this is 1983. He didn't actually make his debut for Northern Ireland until 1990, uh, after, long after he'd left Arsenal. But he won 27 caps over eight, eight years while playing with Sheffield United and Leicester City. And his advice to youngsters is... Listen to good advice. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I, I quite liked his um, his most difficult opponent, which basically he says, well, I've, I've not played against them all yet. 
Oh, I, I quite like that. It's like, it's okay. a philosophical answer, isn't it? Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Favourite away ground, Villa. Oh. It's quite nice. Best country visited, Switzerland. Favourite drink, milk. Oh, bless him. He's, 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 a, he's a toddler. Um, do you know what? Do you know what? I, I, I wouldn't really argue with that. And that's one of my favourite drinks. Also, as well, on, on the kit, and I know it's like, again, we, we've had a bit of a, a theme during, during this episode. JVC looks really small. Oh, yeah. Are you get theory with that, Andy? Haven't you? Well, I think it's more a, more a fact that obviously I could find the evidence for it, but it was to do with, um, it's to do with advertising that was allowed on TV. So when games were shown, they had to have a certain size of sponsor. So you actually probably find that in that season, there was an Arsenal kit that looked like that and there would have been an Arsenal kit with a bigger JVC. And those JVC, the bigger ones, would have been played when there was no TV coverage at those games. So it was all, it was all to do with the BBC or ITV, whoever, at the time, specifying that, you know, because this was the advertisement, the logos were just coming into the game. So it was a sort of, well, we've got to be careful what we're doing here. You know, we, we, it was the unknown. The, the other example we spoke about was the Liverpool kit. I think it was, was it candy or was it something else? Tom, do you remember? It was crown paints, I And think. again, it was really small for televised matches and then normal size, what you would expect, maybe. Candy probably back in there. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. The other thing I pick up on it as well, and again, it's just like Arsenal with an Umbro kit. It's not not, not a team you, you would originally associate with Umbro, I don't think. like You, you think of Arsenal, you think, you immediately think Adidas, really, but but yeah, Umbro is uh, just again that just jumps out at me like mm-hmm. red with black socks yeah. for Umbro, like sort of little diamonds on there. Going oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that the the socks especially just mm. sort of tie in with what you perceive for an Arsenal kit with it with the diamonds and around the top. Yeah. So that's us wrapped up the magazine then. Excellent. So. What what's going on with yourself at the moment, Tony? Have you got anything planned? Anything you want to give a shout out? Um, yes, I suppose really just the the stuff that we're doing at the minute is is obviously all all online. Where because um, you know we we're, we're not really allowed out at the minute. So we, uh, if you want to do the uh, so the football manager podcast is called Football Manager Therapy. Uh, that comes out in the middle of August and it's going to be on Acast. So. Um, follow, I suppose, probably easiest to follow the, the, the Twitter for that. So that's just at Tony Jameson. Um, and I'll be posting out the links for that in the next uh, week or so. Uh, if you're interested in watching Football Manager Room My Life, the stand-up show, that's on YouTube. Uh, you can follow the YouTube channel there, which is Tony Jameson FM. On there as well is also uh, where I'm putting out the Football Manager Save Game stuff. So there's some little videos there. Uh, I'm currently playing, playing as Kaiser Schlauten where I'm trying to go from Bundesliga 3 to Bundesliga um, just during lockdown because I figured it was a nice big team at the bottom. Uh, so we'll do a little sort of slightly different save game there. So we've completed the first season already. We're into season two. And it seems to have gone quite well so far. So we won the we won Division 3 by a country mile. So uh, Division 2 seems to be quite exciting. Um, and then we're sort of trying to put out a couple of videos a week on that. And then generally after that, not really a great deal else going on, to be honest, because... As I say, I've not really got... There'll be a stand-up special at some point, but when that'll be, who knows? So 
I suppose realistically, just just the football manager stuff is kind of what we're what we're focusing on right now. It kind of looked like comedy clubs in England were going to open, didn't it? And then it seems to have been pulled. Yeah, so it's been pulled um, again. I don't know when this is going to go out, but it, it's been pulled like last night. Essentially, um, there was talk of of stuff being launched from the first of from the first of August, but um, new news has come out. Obviously, with rise of infections in in Manchester and the northwest, um, that they've just they've just pulled the plug completely on it. So another couple of weeks, and you know what? It's 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 difficult. It's like uh, guys have been trying to do. Uh, outdoor shows like there's a few up in Scotland as well as guys doing outdoor shows gigs in like um, sort of drive-in events as well like what used to have mm-hmm. you drive-in cinemas they've been there've been a few of those and they've been and apparently people have done them and everyone's having a lovely time doing it um, but there's just like there's so much so many comics just trying to make ends meet and trying to get stuff done and like it's a difficult one because you sort of go well it's a livelihood, but at the end of the day, it's like people need to be safe and people need to sort of see what's what. And, you know, if we can ride it out, brilliant. Like, I think it's giving people a chance to reset and think, well, okay, well, if stuff's struggling, you know, what can we do instead? And as I say, that's kind of what's prompted me to, to do some extra online stuff to sort of say, look, just keep ticking over. Because otherwise, if you just sit there and you, and you, you stress about what's going to happen, you, you'll drive yourself crazy. So, Try and get something done. Try and keep the brain going, and comedy will come back, and comedy will change. And it, like, I have to try and look for a positive, and I hope that it'll change for the better because of this. And the, the the venues will change, and we'll go into newer and more interesting places. Like, I think that we'll have the rise of like sort of comedy clubs in like coffee shops or bookshops or like video game hangout places, like retro cafes and stuff. Um, breweries I think I think they'll be very different like very different the guys have been doing like online shows like through Zoom and Skype and stuff and there's still a market for things and I think right now we've we've got an opportunity to perform to, to the world so we might as well try and take it and try and do yeah. something and, and build a bit of a following and if when everything all settles down you've managed to get a possible career you can go and do some some smaller shows or some tours or whatever and in various little places then then great, and that's kind of what I'm hoping for, to be honest. So maybe do some some stuff in in various little places that aren't traditional comedy clubs or or, or large venues. And there'll be smaller shows, and there'll be like say coffee shops and you know libraries or bookshops or whatever. Or you know I, I can't even begin to to imagine what they'll be because they may well change again by the time we get around to booking it. So who knows? As as it is, we'd just like to say, say a special thanks to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the use of Story of the Blues in the music for their show. You can catch up with Pete on petewiley.co.uk and check out any details, upcoming gigs and new music, as, as we've touched on here. When that is going to be, we don't know. And lastly, we'd also like to thank our producer, Diane Jardin, for her support, her, her being there for us, just helping out with the podcast. Check out transmissionroom.co.uk so if you need music re- recording and re- or rehearsal facilities in Clyde Bank then Diane is the person to call for that transmissionroom.co.uk so I'd just like to say once again Tony thank you very much it's been absolutely great thanks for joining us tonight oh no, thanks for having me it's been an absolute pleasure I really enjoyed it thank you and thank you Tom for being Tom thank you Andy and for everyone out there listening please continue to do so support 
support our guests, support the podcast, support the the charity, the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share, and just keep sharing the podcast. Give us some feedback as well. That'd be absolutely great. So until the next time, let's shoot the breeze. Thank you.